All right. So what do I have? I do want to say something because Prelude to Deadpool Core ended this week, and I, I I have stuff I need to say about that. I can't believe people are actually reading that. Well, people aren't. Paul is. Paul is. Yeah. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> All right, what else? Do you, Tim, do you have anything else? Uh, I have my Teen Titans update. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited about The fans are clamoring for the Teen Titans update. <laughs> did you guys pick up Dragon Age? Uh, I did not. My shop did. didn't have it. Yeah, mine didn't either. And I was kind of hoping you guys would talk about it. But... Well, I, <laughs> I was going to say, um, I have kind of an indie book spotlight because I have three books that I want to say at least one sentence on. Okay. Maybe Paul's indie spotlight, since I'm the only one who doesn't read who reads something other than Marvel and uh, DC. I read hey. quite a few things other than Marvel and DC. It's just that nobody ever, we never talk about them. Things like Irredeemable and all right. Well, actually, we're, we talk about Haunt every time it comes out. <laughs> good books. Good books. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about Green Hornet number two. I would have had Dragon Age if it was in the you know Tri County area. Paul wants to do his indie spotlight. Indie Spotlight. Indie Spotlight with Paul. We need some masterpiece theater music. No, some. Uh, you need some. Uh, you know, singer songwriter music to go with it. You know, because it's indie. <laughs> I need to do a playing a, a, an acoustic acoustic guitar. Exactly. You know, maybe Jewel could sing it for you. That would be awesome. Or lame, your choice. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So, um, anything else for me, Dad? Your mom. Hey. Easy now. I say we use Jonathan's version because uh, this will now be the new best intro of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Funny Books with Aaron and Polly and their amazing friends. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne, and I guess I'm still amazing. This we have Tim? other people on the podcast, too. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jonathan. Wow, Jonathan's back. House is so crowded, people are tripping over themselves. Right. And you know why? Because we don't have waffles. <laughs> yeah, well, we, Jonathan. we had to cut the waffles from the budget so that we could afford Tim. I told you this. Yay. But I did order a gross of waffles from China. And they should be they should be arriving shortly. So, you know, they might they might t- taste a little low many, but uh, you know, they're still waffles. Jonathan, you're going to have to speak up because you're sitting at the kid table now. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, Wayne and Paul both gave me a lot of crap this week because uh, I didn't get to pick up my comics until Friday. And so when we were talking on Wednesday, both of them gave me an inordinate amount of crap 
about, ooh, yeah, too bad you can't read this book. You know, too bad you got to wait two days. So, <laughs> you know, uh, both Wayne and Paul are schmucks. I just say. But uh, so I, I went over to my comic shop on Friday, you know, because I needed time to read my books before we record today on Saturday. And I get over to my comic shop, and there's a sign on the door that says, "We're not opening till three because we're uh, shooting an episode of our of our of our web show." You know, the uh, over at Zeus Comics, they they had that variance uh, web web show. And you know, I'm like, damn it! You know, it's like 11:30 in the morning, and I'm like, damn it! I, I can't get all the way back out here to Dallas, you know, to, to pick them up at three. So you know, I send, uh, I, I go across the street because I needed to hit the store across the street as well. So while I'm in the store, I, I send Richard, the store owner, a direct message that says, you know, hey man, I'm, I'm right across the street. Can I just grab my pulls? I, I, uh, I promise I won't be a bother. And he says, oh yeah, come on over. So I go over, and I had forgotten that they had Ben Temple Smith over. And you know Ben Templesmith, uh, you know comic writer, and, and uh, uh, refresh my memory, Paul. What else does he do? He does. He did like uh, uh, Thirty Days of Night. He, yeah. I mean, he's a writer and an artist. So, right. I mean, you know, he's a, he's a pretty popular guy. His new book is Choker. Yeah. And uh, so you know, I'm over there. I'm getting my books, and uh, uh, they're actually I actually wound up get, get, getting to be in a scene because they needed somebody in the background. And uh, so I'm grabbing my books, and Richard says, so have you, have you uh, met Ben? And I said, no, I sure haven't. And so he calls Ben over, and he says, uh, hey, Ben, this is Aaron. And this is what, what I thought was really interesting. He is a friend of ours. And I, I'm like, oh, my God, I, I, I've just been introduced you know, into the comic mafia. You know, he is a friend of ours, you know, like they do in, 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 in Donnie Brasco and the Sopranos and whatnot. And I'm like, I'm like you know, I'm mobbed up now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a made guy. I would I would have been offended, Aaron. <laughs> would you? <laughs> because I you know I want to be introduced as this is Jonathan from Kicked in the Dice Bags, or well, he, at he, least Jonathan from Funny Books. Well, he also it, he said you know Aaron is uh, with IdeologyofMadness.com and has a podcast. He, he went on, but the initial introduction was he is a friend of ours, and I was just like I I, I think I'm in the comic book mafia now, the Funny Book Mafia. Kind of you know, curious if, what that Paul like. <laughs> if Paul would have walked into a comic book shop with a writer, he would have come out with an interview. Yeah, just saying. Ben Templesmith <laughs> and I would be having beers, and I would be recording it, and and, and people would be barging in saying, "You know, I'd suck your dick." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah we're the budget volcanic finish. <laughs> yeah. That's the place across the street from Zeus Kai. That's there? right. Well, I, I I then took Ben Temple Smith over for a rub and tug, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, it, it was it was it was nice meeting him. I didn't get much of a chance to talk to him beyond that, but uh, he seems like a nice enough guy. But you know, uh, I, I that that was what prompted my uh, my visit to uh, the electronics store after that because I was like, damn it, I, I need a uh, a digital voice recorder to carry with me. Because you know, I never have enough room on my iPhone to use it as a digital voice recorder. Because you know, I've got too much other crap on my iPhone. So, uh, it, well, exactly. You know, for when the rub and tug's not available, you can rub and tug it yourself. You shake that. <laughs> I respect so your independence when you're stuck in traffic. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, that was my visit to the comic shop this week. Now, I expected a way more interesting story. Yeah, well, like, you disappoint me, Aaron. <laughs> you know, I don't like any of y'all. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, but you know, Jonathan is back. 
And, uh, you know, he, he has been off in the treatment facility for uh, the last two weeks. How many days sober, Jonathan? My nipples are hard. <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of which, uh, I just want to comment that I was mentioned on quite a few podcasts after Fear the Con. Uh huh. And the only thing anyone could talk about was that I was drunk the whole time. I was only <laughs> drunk for the wing night. I maybe, I maybe had. Three or four beers at the convention, not counting when Chad kept hitting me up with beers. And you, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I only had three or four beers except the other 20. Well, ex- ex- except, except, except that I was peer pressured into drinking. Yeah, ex- except for when it was being pushed upon me. <laughs> so other than the day before, the first day, and the second day, you were completely sober. Yeah. <laughs> And you're prepared to testify to that in court. <laughs> Look, the the point is, when I got pulled over by that cop, I was sober, okay? <laughs> Since Jonathan wasn't on the show, he wasn't able to talk to us about Nemesis last week. Yeah. And, uh, I know we were all looking forward to chatting about that. Yeah, and I, I, I listened to uh, to your guys' thoughts on it. Um I really, and unlike me, you probably bought the right book. Yeah, I, I really respected what Wayne had to say on the subject. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, you know, I'm still bitter about that because I went looking for it. It's sold out right now, so I have to wait until their second printing just to figure, just to read this book. Don't, Wayne. Don't. <laughs> that book. That book was god awful. People, like Wayne, is the only one who lucked out here. that book was awful awful i i can't remember i mean maybe the last time i read x factor that was the last time i read a comic so bad uh you know uh, a big problem i had with the comic right off the bat is uh and i know don't laugh but uh i didn't like all the cursing Cursing offended you. Your sensitive ears. It did. It did. It did sort of get to me where I'm just like, I'm like, is this really necessary? (laughs) Like, I there's just a disconnect. Like, I think the movie will be great because I love that type of language in movies. But in a when I'm reading it in a comic book, it's like when Grant Morrison was doing X Men. I the big problem I had was like, is the language really necessary? Like, can't can't they talk like comic book characters are supposed to talk? All cheesy. (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty common of his writing. I mean, have you read Kick Ass? No, it's called Kick Ass. I know I'm not going to like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's got cuss words in the title. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is true. So that, that that was my thought. It, my thought on Nemesis is I will not be coming back for number two uh, because if if as we say the first issue is the easiest, then I hate to see where it goes from here. Yeah, I you know I enjoyed it, and I I think I'm in for number two. But uh, you know I certainly understand what you're saying. But I do see that Nemesis the Imposter number two from DC Comics comes out next week. So Wayne, you're on. Good news. <laughs> Maybe I'll buy that. Wayne and I can talk about it. There you go. There you go. I actually probably will buy it. I'll finish out the miniseries because it's only a four issue miniseries, and I got the first issue, so I am a completionist. What kind of logic is that? It's a 4G miniseries, and I only have one of them, so I might as well buy the other three. 
This explains why Wayne's still in the Ultimate Universe. <laughs> Honestly, it really does. Uh, it wasn't a it wasn't a bad miniseries at all. Like, the first story, kind of, I was kind of confused about what was going on because it wasn't what I was expecting, it wasn't what I thought I was reading, and it uh, I didn't know anything about the character of Nemesis. But it wasn't a bad miniseries. It just is put out there right now to trick gullible people like me, hook, line, and sinker. It's like you were drugged, Wayne. You're confused. You're not sure how you got here, but you're here anyway, so you might as well stick around, right? That's right. It's kind of like when you bought uh, Lord of the G-Strings. Realized <laughs> oh, no, that, I, knew uh, I, was, I knew what I was buying there. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of things I shouldn't have completed, uh, X-Force number 25 came out this week. And I'm glad Jonathan's on, because he hasn't been on for the last couple of Necrotia books. And this is the finale of Necrotia. And I'm sorry, Jonathan, because I don't want to offend you. It was horrible. Well, all right. <laughs> um are you offended, Jonathan? What? Uh, uh, wow, I didn't think I didn't think this is where we were going with our Necrotia update. Um, <laughs> what? 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 Uh, what? What? Uh, what did you like about it? <laughs> what, what? Wow, Jonathan. <laughs> he's like I'm never coming back on ever again. Um, you know, I was looking forward to the Necrotia storyline. It started off interestingly enough, and this last book was just horrible. I mean, so it just like with Captain America Reborn, apparently 12 books worth of build-up just build up to everyone fighting a giant villain, like a giant-sized villain. Because apparently when you get the powers of a god, all you can do is become a giant. And, and they just take her out with a knife. They just stab her, and it's over. I'm like, all of that build-up, and that's all that happened? It, it was such a waste of time, I thought. I was really disappointed in it. And and then they disguised themselves as zombies by rubbing mud all over themselves. And for some reason, that tricks everybody so that they can get close enough to the giant goddess to stop Hey, if, if it'll work for Arnold Schwarzenegger, it'll work for these guys too, okay? Everyone knows well, you're up against a supernatural villain. You cover yourself in mud. <laughs> now I know. That's my move. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm thinking that you liked it. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I, I did. Uh, a big problem I had was, was uh, along the lines of, of what you had is that I'm like, this is a big crossover. Like it, reading the finale, it didn't feel like a big crossover. It felt like it could have been, you know, a three issue story arc of X-Force. Yeah, exactly. I felt that way about it. This felt like just an export storyline. The, the tie-ins didn't really affect the major storyline at all. And let's be honest, the X-Men Legacy one, written by Mike Carey, was really good, but was you know related to the storyline in name only. Yes. Um, uh, a, a problem I had with this particular book, X-Force 25, uh it just seems to me that back in the day, and maybe this is nostalgia talking, but the fight scenes were better. Like, I, I, I remember if a moment like, uh, you know, spoilers, <laughs> uh, the the part in this book where uh, where John, John and James Proudstar fight, like, it seems to me like that would have been a larger section of the book because of such a big moment. As far as X X Men history, but 
It was like, what, a page? And quick. Yes, no? Polly? Paul, did we lose you? Oh, Paul's gone. Oh. Hold on. Let me dial him back. He's dead, Paul. Well, I'm not repeating myself, so. (laughs) Hopefully he caught that before he left. Paul? 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 Aaron? Paul? Paul? Yes. Hey, Paul. Did you lose me, or did everyone lose? Or no, everyone we just help? lost you. You just went dark, and Jonathan was was uh, you know having a conversation with you, and then you were just non-responsive. But you know, like, since John since Jonathan was particularly long-winded, it's hard to know when you actually fell. <laughs> <laughs> he probably just thought you were like you know an ex-girlfriend or something. That's Commenting normal. on his forum. You talk, you talk, you talk, and then responsive. Nice. I was like. Whoa! Did I say something wrong? <laughs> yes, because you know if you're if you're Jonathan's ex girlfriend, that's what you do. You go comment on his forum, and then Jonathan talks about your blown out vagina. <laughs> yes, that is that is how that works. Your your uh, your forum posts have have gone to a very strange place. I'm like, I can't. Number one, I can't believe I'm reading this. Two, I can't believe that she's responding to it. <laughs> It's like a train wreck. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> well, the, the chick did live with me for over a year, so she's <laughs> she's pretty used to it by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, <laughs> Necrotia's second coming. Paul, what do you what do you think about what what Jonathan just said? <laughs> uh, I agree. <laughs> okay. I yeah. Yeah. Should have been should have been better. Yeah, should have been better. Like X Men Second Coming. That was definitely better. Yes. Of course, this is the first issue of the storyline, so I don't know, come issue 12, if I'll be saying the same thing. And interestingly enough, written by the same team that did X-Force 25. Yeah, I think X-Force 25 got delayed. I don't think it was intended to time this way, you know, end one week and start on the same week. Did everyone read Second Coming, or was it just me and Jonathan? I did. No, I read it. I definitely Everyone but me. So this is kind of my return to X-Men. It's I've been away since um, Grant Morrison. And basically just uh, listening to, to Jonathan go on about it, he got me hooked on cable, which kind of brought me into the whole Hope storyline, which is what Second Coming is, you know, the natural progression of. Uh, then Dark X-Men I read, and it's, yeah, it really has nothing to do with any of this. But then when I picked up uh, Uncanny X-Men last week, and it was my book of the week, it's... I've really missed the X universe. I just haven't, you know. Morrison drove me away, but yeah, I am I definitely. I'm back. I, I this was really good. I mean, not a lot happened in issue one, but I enjoyed everything that did happen. I'm in the same boat as Wayne. I haven't picked up X Men regularly since Executioner song, and so I when I picked this up, I was mainly picking it up so we could talk about it, and I wasn't sure what to expect, but. I definitely liked it. Um, my only comment is I felt like I was four years old because I kept peppering Jonathan with questions like, who's this guy? What's this? What? <laughs> when did Namor become an X-Men? What's going on here? And so um, I, was a little, I was a little bit lost, but that can be understandable for someone who hasn't picked up that um, genre in you know, 10 plus years. So. But I thought it was a good book. Yeah, I, I highly enjoyed it. And you know, you you said you were a little bit lost, and you know, we had Mike Carey on the show a couple weeks ago, and um, 
you know, him and Fraction are really good about making you feel like you're not lost when you hop into the universe. And that's one thing I'll say about Craig Kyle and Chris Yost. They're not as new reader friendly as the other guys. Um, but I mean, most of the main characters are here, you know, and it, other than a few lingering questions, which would have been nice in like a wrap up at the beginning. And there was, I guess there was one, but it just wasn't very descriptive. Um, you know, if, if you haven't at, at least a partial knowledge of what's going on in the X-Men universe, you know, uh, you're kind of kind of miss some of the things that, that are going on here. But I thought it was really good. And you had nice David Finch art. I think this is probably the last work he's done for Marvel. Mm-hmm. You have a kick-ass cover by Addie <clears throat> Granos. I, I had an opportunity to pick up uh, uh, the Utopia trade paperback yesterday with, uh, you know, Dark X-Men and Avengers, I guess. Um, was that any good? No. The Utopia storyline wasn't? I didn't like care for it. Jonathan, okay. did you like it? Uh, that was when I was first getting back in. Uh, that was going on. Uh-huh. Um, eh. <laughs> I put yeah, it, it back. It, they, they had it for 50% off over at this bookstore I was at. And, and I was like, you know, I flipped through it and I didn't care for the artwork in it. And so I put it back. I was like, hey, I'm going to ask the guys. Maybe I'll go back and get it. But if you guys say it's not worth having, I won't go get it. Yeah, it's really not that great. I'll be honest with you. It's really not that great. And it, it's disappointing because it's you know, got some good writers on it. But yeah. it, it, it's the story that ends up with the X-Men on this island. But it's still not that great. Okay. But, I mean, I will say X-Men Second Coming, number one, I thought it was great. I, it, I wouldn't. It's not my book of the week, but I did think it was a really – Good story. It reminded me a lot of the you know the X Men crossovers that we used to get, and uh, you know I'm excited about it. Yeah, and I thought I actually did a decent job of explaining some things that were going on in the universe. I mean, having not read an X Men book in a while, other than Cable, at least since I was reading Cable, I knew the whole deal with Hope and Cable and all, but I had no idea who these smiley faced armor guys were, and they kind of explain that and they go through. Whoa, wait! Only yes. How did you not know who the smiley-faced armor guys were? Aren't you, like, a huge fan of the old X-Factor run when these guys showed up? The original X-Factor run, yeah, but I don't think they would have looked like that. Well, I mean, this is a more modernized version of, you know, the. I mean, it's not similar to the old artwork, but same thing. Smiley-faced robots, man. Yeah, I, rec- I recognized them, but I wasn't sure what they were yet. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. I don't remember. Is that Mr. Sinister's, like, dudes? I don't remember. Well, it, has, <laughs> they showed up right before Fall of the Mutants. Has X-Factor Forever come out yet? Yes. First yes. issue of it came out. I absolutely loved it. So hey, the John- one, thing I, one thing I wondered about in this issue, and I don't, I don't know if anyone else caught it or not, but I don't think Cable stopped. I think he still continued to drive away when the X-Men have their battle behind him. So I yeah. don't think Cable and Hope are with them yet still. I think we're still going to see that next issue. Because I don't see him anywhere around the battle. You do see him looking in the rearview mirror and seeing the truck flip over, but he doesn't seem to stop. He just keeps going. So is, is Pixie a Grant Morrison character? Because that would seem to fall along alongside a beak. I was really confused. I, I believe I believe that she might be. I remember there was some chick with wings that Beak sleeps with, and then they have the issue that, that made me drop my subscription altogether, which is the Beak 
winged baby things. No, nah, that wasn't Pixie. Her name was Angel. Ah, okay. I have no idea who Pixie is, but I know who that character is just because she crossed over into her and Beak crossed over into Exiles, and I was still reading Exiles at the time. Pixie's lame anyway. You know, a lot of those characters are lame though, like the Cuckoo Twins or whatever. <laughs> those <laughs> were those were Grant Morrison creations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some I mean, some of these X Men are like really. You couldn't have lost your powers on them day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was but, just glad that it, at the beginning of this issue, Cyclops is talking about they lost three mutants, and I'm looking at the pictures, I'm like, oh, I know who those guys are. They were lame. I'm glad they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan's well, got a wall somewhere with all 181 that are left. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, someone asked us, uh, Aaron and I, on Twitter the other day, uh, you know, they wanted to get back into Green Lantern and X-Men, um, specifically because they've been out of comics for a while. And uh, I, if, you're, if you've been out of X-Men for a while, I mean, you're going to be a little bit confused with X- X-Men Second Coming, but I think it's good and it's enjoyable and it's a lot of fun. So I think you'll be able to catch up pretty quickly, and I think it's probably a good jumping on point. You know, and I have to agree when I was reading the scene Jonathan was talking about, about who those three mutants are. I have to agree with what Namor said. And this meld is worth noting why. <laughs> exactly. Namor tells it like it is. Yeah, you know, Paul, the uh, the same guy posted on the on the uh, Fear the Boot f- uh, forums, and me and, and Wayne and I responded to him as well. So, um, I, and that brings up a whole question of whether a crossover is a good place to jump into. And I don't think we want to get into it here, but I didn't think this was a bad place. They explained the major parts. It, you know, for someone like me, I'm not going to get all the nuances in you know 24 pages. But I knew who Hope was. I knew who Cable was. I understood Utopia. You know, it was just this, you know, a a character here, a character there going, what is going on there? I think that's understandable. I think that for uh, readers who who don't, uh, who aren't on this podcast, (laughs) 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 if if they were smart, they would drop all the X-Tiles and only pick up X-Men and and, uh, X-Factor forever. And just stay away, <laughs> stay away from, from the from the regular lack of continuity. You know, the reason I say it's good to jump on during a crossover, at least for me, is because I get a lot of information at the same time. I don't have to wait month after month. I can get four books a month. You know, and if you're just jumping in, those are probably the only books you're buying. You get four books a month. You get a lot of information at the same time instead of you know. The monthly beats. Well, and, I, I think it depends on the crossover. I mean, yes. like for instance, if if Blackest Night was your jump on point, that would have been an awful place to jump in. I mean, I, 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 I can't imagine. You know, as as much as we liked those those early books of Blackest Night, I can't imagine being a newbie to the universe trying to trying to access what all the hell's going on. Because while you, know, you well you would recognize the the threat of all the zombies, you'd be wondering well. Why is this such a big deal? Why is you know why is this a bigger crisis than anything else? You know. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, Black Knight Number One was one of the top-selling books of 2009. Mm-hmm. So I mean, a lot of people did jump on with it. Yeah, I just don't think it's a good jump-on point. I think a lot. Yeah. I, I think that I think that crossovers like you know, uh, you know, let, let, let's go ahead and, and, and show how old we are. Uh, Secret Wars was probably a good jump-on point. 
you know, for people. Yeah, it's something that lets you see all the characters together and yeah. see who they are, what they're about, and what's going on in their regular titles. Because there are some characters, Fantastic Four, until the last couple months when I started buying it, I never have any idea what's going on with their books. Yeah. Unless they cross over with something and they mention, oh, hey, this is going on. And that's how I keep up with what's going on with them. Yeah. You know what just popped in my head? I mean, and really, if you think about it, it's kind of where we're going with this. DC crossovers are bad jumping on points. Marvel crossovers are typically good jumping on points. See, and I disagree with you. Really? Secret yeah. Invasion? Uh, Secret, Invasion. Secret Invasion. I think Secret Invasion probably would have been okay. Siege is probably okay. I mean, you know, there's enough information there for you to get caught up. Civil War, I would say Civil War was a good jumping on point. Well, and, and I think that uh, Identity Crisis, uh, Infinite Crisis, I think those were both accessible. because See, even- I disagree with Infinite Crisis. Infinite Crisis... I felt as and I've been reading comics for thirty years or twenty something. Um, I, I felt was even partially inaccessible for me, and that's because I hadn't read the original Crisis on Infinite Earths. See, and I, I think I think Infinite Crisis and Crisis on the Infinite Earths showed you the full cast of the DC universe and gave you enough to kind of understand a little bit about the character so that if that was a character you wanted to pursue, you could go buy their book. See, I think that you're both wrong. And that the best jumping on point is issue number one, and then you can see your hopes and dreams for for the characters that you grow to love smashed over time as you get to I, the five hundreds and and further. We call yeah. that the Wayne factor. <laughs> I, I have uh, well, to agree with Jonathan there. Uh, so William Paul, the answer is maybe. That's the definitive <laughs> funny book answer. <laughs> It sounds like we have enough topic for a full show on that one. So we might as well keep going and talking about the many, many crossovers that we have to talk about on this show. Um, going into Siege, because we had a couple of Siege-related books this week. Yeah. Um, Dark Wolverine number 84 came out, which I think is the conclusion of Dark Wolverine's crossover with Siege. And, uh, Tim, you read this, didn't you? Yeah. What would you think? I did. Uh, this is my book of the week. I love this book. Um, I, I, I love the art style. I, I, you know, this character is um, continuing to grow into one of my favorite characters in the Marvel universe. Um, I, I like the mind games that he's playing with people. I like the fact, you know, I, I like the fact that the, uh, the the fates are still tormenting him in this book. Um, the only thing that I'm a little confused on is if this is the end of the the dark Wolverine storyline in siege. I don't know unless they wrap it up in like the major siege book, what's going to happen. Like at the end of it, I wasn't sure how he was going to either bring him back about Ragnarok or ignore that and choose his own path. Did you read this book? Nope. I don't like the character of doc. And so I've avoided the book. Wayne, you're crazy. Apollyon, <laughs> You are out of your mind if this is your book of the week. Completely <laughs> off your rocker. Teen Titans must have been pretty bad to choose this as your book of the week. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I've been a big proponent of both this character and this title. And I read this and I'm just like, I don't really understand what the point is here. And you know, by the time it wraps up, I'm just like, Wow. A whole lot of nothing happened in these issues. This was a, just a pointless waste. He shouldn't have even well, been involved know, in Siege if it was going to be like this. 
you know, I didn't see it as a waste. Uh, I, I, you know, I actually did like the book. And, and I've always, you know, I've, I've been talking about Dark Wolverine for a while now, how much I really like the series. Um, I did like this issue. I, I liked this issue a lot. As far as it being pointless, I, you know, as far as changing anything in the Siege crossover, I think it was. Um, but I, I think it was a good, I don't know, a good character study of the character. I mean, I think you got a lot of his, you know, you, you get a lot of interesting character bits in these three issues. I mean, is that enough to make it worth buying? No, he did. He did get to. Uh, he did get to tongue uh, Hawkeye, which. Yes, you do get some uh, tongue action between him and Hawkeye, Bullseye. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, I think you get some good character bits of Doc in, um, even if, it, like I said, it doesn't change anything in Siege. Um, it's, like I said, it just depends on what you're looking for. Wayne liked it. Not Wayne. Tim liked it. Jonathan didn't. I liked it. So Jonathan sucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just want I just want a comic book where something happens. But this will not be. This is not my major hate of the episode. We'll get there. So, did anything happen in New Mutants? The New Mutants siege crossover this week? Yes, New Mutants was my book of the week. Yeah, I could turn uh-huh. on some love. <laughs> what was so awesome about it? Well, because it it. It uh, stroked my nostalgia. <laughs> That's why it was so awesome, Aaron, okay? <laughs> All right, then. Uh, you know, basically, uh, and it kept with continuity, too. Oh, so that must have been an oversight. One of the editors fell asleep because they would have lifted that right out. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I figured, I figured <clears throat> modern comics being what they are – that back in the Utopia storyline, uh, when uh, Danny Moonstar makes a deal with Hela to get the powers of a god so that she can go toe-to-toe with Ares uh, in, at the end of that crossover, uh, that they were just going to drop it at that. But it's finally here in uh, New Mutants number 11 where Hela calls, calls uh, in her favor. Uh, and basically, uh, she appoints uh, Danny Moonstar as a Valkyrie of Valkyrie of Hell or whatever to uh, to lead the dead Asgardians to Hell to collect souls for her. It was badass. <laughs> <laughs> so there. Now, Jonathan, did you read the original run of New Mutants? I did. Okay, so uh, now did you read them in like back issues, or were you actually reading comics at the time that those came out? Oh, I re- I read back issues. I I picked up the whole uh, series for a hundred bucks. Oh wow! So uh, you really grooved to the to the Asgard link uh, to the New Mutants. Well, I I I didn't necessarily like the New Mutants in Asgard storyline, mm-hmm. uh, but one of the good aspects of it, I thought. Was uh, was the uh, the whole Valkyrie, Danny yeah. Star power up thing? Yeah, that, that was, was pretty cool. awesome. I like now. Who, I'm trying to remember the artist who has drawn it back then. Was it Art Adams? Is that right? They they didn't mm-hmm. have a single. They didn't have a, a one single artist through the whole run. They had well, I but they, different they, artists coming and going because there was one. Tell. There was one guy, and I, God, I want to say it was Art Adams, uh, who was drawing the. Uh, 
the New Mutants in the Asgard storyline. I'm looking it up real quick. I think that it was. was. Yeah. That artwork was stunning. I, I really liked that from that old series. Wasn't it the Asgardian Wars? Isn't yeah. that what it was called? Yeah. yeah. That was Art Adams. Yeah. Oh, uh, one thing one thing I just noticed with uh, New Mutants number 11. Uh, up into up into this point it had been written by uh, Zeb Wells and uh Kieran Gillen actually wrote this issue. Oh, oh go Kieran. Yeah. Yeah. Kieran, Kieran, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> so, New Mutants was a win. New Mutants was a win. Well, let's find out how Cloak and Dagger number one did. Oh. It was not a win. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I have one good thing to say about the book before we get into the hatred of it. And <laughs> the only good thing I have to say about this book is in the first panel on the first page. This is the third book I've read in two weeks that had Dr. Was it Dr. Nemesis in it. And the first one that told me the character's name. Because I had no idea who this guy is just coming back into the X-Men universe. So the only good thing I have to say about the book is one little name square on the first page. Wayne, I've been, I've been reading all the X-Books since June, and I have no idea who this guy is. He's, <laughs> he's, like, he's, he's in a bunch of their books, but I'm just like, they don't explain him. I'm like, what's his point? Except to be there in his white suit and is be the, the science guy. Old guy? The yeah, old science guy who's yeah, like it's, I, I like to call him Beast Replacement. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad, I thought it was just me that had no clue who this character was, but yeah, I had no idea his name until I, I flip open the first page. It's like I finally have a name for this guy. This I, has I gotta don't, be good. I don't and even think he's a mutant. Like I think he's just chilling there. He's just like, oh, I like islands. I don't know. <laughs> I like islands. <laughs> so it was bad. How was the art? Fantastic. I really enjoyed the art. Yeah, I had no problem with the art. It wouldn't. I don't know. That I'd say fantastic. It has a little bit of an anime feel to it, somewhat. But yeah, I, I my problem was with the art. I don't know about anime as much as animated. Like I could see these pictures in motion. It was. It had uh, sort of a. I, I don't want to say cartoonish because that makes people think Disney cartoonish, but I'm just I'm just talking like it was almost like still still frame cartoon shots of like of like a an X Men animated series or something like that. But the story was bad. I guess I take but, it. You know I've never liked Cloak and Dagger. I you have, have. And this, I, I have. I I yeah. like Cloak and Dagger. I have bought every series that Cloak and Dagger has ever done. Really? And I this is the they completely got the characters wrong here. Neither one of them is acting anything like I've ever seen Cloak and Dagger act. And maybe that's because they've been doing stuff over with the X-Men and they're different, but I don't see personalities changing this much. They were totally out of character the whole book. So I agree. When, when, when you when you say, you know, they're acting out of character define or describe for us Cloak and Dagger's character as you understand them. Well, it's changed quite a bit over the different miniseries. I will give will give that. Uh, Cloak is usually the strong, silent type. Dagger is the more talkative type. The two of them have always had a close relationship, no matter what. Since the beginning, they you know they have a fight here or there, but they always you know they're always there for each other, and that's kind of key to their characters. Um. Tandy has been melodramatic before. She has been a uh, a bit abrasive at times, but 
I've never seen her like this, where she's she's whiny, she's you know she's offended at the X Men because she wanted to be a mutant and she's not a mutant. So they she doesn't think they care about her anymore and he's more worried about some ex girlfriend from his old high school than he is her. Um Yeah, his Jonathan, his old high school Wayne, do you remember when Cloak and Dagger came on the scene, like way back in the day? Yeah, back in Spider-Man. He's been a long time out of high school, dude. <laughs> to be like worrying about, to be worrying yeah. about some old flame. Like he's been chilling around with this chick the whole time, and now he's just like, "Oh, I'm, I'm out." <laughs> and uh, it, like, it, here, here's the thing that I have. It seems like. Because all right, like Cloak and Dagger, I wouldn't say they're D-listers. They're, they're not. They're not. You know, Avengers: The Initiative, but they they are B-listers. You know, they're they're secondary X-Men. You know, they're like Havoc. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, it, it's just why that B-listers in in. Uh, in X-Men comics, they always have to be they, – they never get to grow up because they're B-listers, I think. Right. Like you look at Psylocke. Psylocke used to be a B-lister. As soon as she turned A-list, all of a sudden she like aged immediately. <laughs> like she was she was going to – she was going to uh, sleep with Doug Ramsey and then as soon as she became A-list, she's like, now I'm sleeping with Cyclops. Screw this. <laughs> <laughs> like how that happens and Cyclops isn't a pedophile, I don't know. But, yeah, how are these still the teenagers that are out there? You know, they've been on the scene longer than some of the X-Men. And they're still training with the youngest teenagers? Yeah, they've, they've been on the scene longer than uh, Psylocke, I imagine. I, I, I don't know. You don't, you do not want to open the jar of time-space continuum right now. <laughs> that is true. The dialogue in this book was just really bad, though. None of the conversations felt natural. Like I said, it's it's really hard to put your finger sometimes on what, how, how characters are out of character. But, yeah, the dialogue was bad. They were all out of character. It just didn't seem like Cloak and Dagger to me. It, it seemed it, like two new characters. It, it wasn't what I wanted. What I wanted out of a Cloak and Dagger one-shot is is a story that explains them fully integrating with the X-Men, not a story that once again goes into how they have to go away. Like, they're like, we're on the scene, and, I don't know, Joe Quesada or something's just like, oh, damn it, we need to do this one shot and get them out of here because Cloak and Dagger can't stay around. They fight drugs and stuff. We can't have that. And I think that's what I've always disliked about Cloak and Dagger is that, you know, I, I, again, when I was reading them, I read the original miniseries and, and whatnot. And, you know, they always just seemed to be focused on street crime, uh, drugs, homelessness. And I was just like, I, I got bored with their characters. Yeah, those are horrible things to fight against. We no, should no, try no. to promote them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found it boring after a while, you know, I, and and I got tired of the uh, – I guess they were just a little too teen angsty for me. Uh, 
because and particularly cloak just always seems to be so you know depressed and you know i'm all melancholy yeah I've but that's that's what, that's what made cloak awesome <sighs> i mean yeah. despair agony it's, on me all right he sucks people into the black void that is him how can you not be like a little bit depressed about your mutant power where you're just like what? uh this is what i do into the back people come inside me and go insane. Yeah. Aaron, what you just describe as Batman too, though? I mean, originally he fought street crime. He was all gloomy and angsty. Yeah, I also don't I read- could read that forever. See, I don't read Batman. <laughs> so what we're really saying is Cloak is like the Eeyore of the X. That's exactly right. That's right. <laughs> oh bother. Does that well, not of the X Men anymore? Yeah, does that make Dagger Tigger? <laughs> yeah, I, the wonderful thing about Dagger. Dagger's a wonderful thing. I would say so. She does seem bouncy and fun, fun, fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fantastic Four number 577. I, I was really jazzed about this book. And I was really jazzed about the book because of the cover. It just I really liked the cover art on this book. Uh, Wayne, did you read this? I did. What'd you think? Um, I enjoyed it. It was kind of interesting seeing a new take on the Inhumans. I like the new take, but mm-hmm. I'm just not sure what all this is building up to. I got a kick out of, and this is another embarrassing admission, uh, the, uh, the Chameleons. Seeing them back in a book, because back in the day, I actually used to read Power Pack. <laughs> yeah. I was young. I was foolish. Well, I particularly like seeing the uh, uh, the Finhead people. Um, gosh, I forget their name all of a sudden. Uh, we see that we, we saw them in the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Wait, but the Centaurans. I really like those Finhead people. Finhead <laughs> people. <laughs> now, uh, this, this issue is uh, the Fantastic Four observe that there's some strange activity up there on the moon in the blue area of the moon where the Inhumans used to live. And uh, so they go up to have a look. Now, Jonathan, did you read this one? I did. What you think? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of my reaction to it, I think. A, I don't remember the last time I read a comic book that had no fighting in it. Yeah. Uh, and B, yeah, like this now is what the third or fourth issue that we've had this sort of style to the book. Yeah, where it's just we found something. And yeah, I, and I, I, have- I, I'm hoping that it builds to something great. But at the same time, I'm nervous that I'm going to be a dupe <laughs> who's just like, no, we've just been giving you filler for a long time. Yeah, if you look back, the older Franklin Richards came back and said that there's a war between four cities. So now we're having a we're having a story arc where something happens. Let's go look at it four times to get these four cities. Yeah. So I would expect the next issue is going to be the same thing as this. And I mean, these are all these as their own as standalone issues have all been good mm-hmm. as an overall storyline. I know it's building to something, but I wish it would just get here because yeah. it is getting, we're seeing the same thing over and over of a, you know, Reed comes in and says, Hey, something strange happened. Let's jump in our ship and go. Yeah. It's a little too episodic. Yeah. Now, I, I want to talk about a couple of things that I like first. Um, I really am digging the art. The uh, the Eagle Shim art is 
outstanding on this book, and okay. they have really they have paired the artist so well with colorist. Um, I, I just I, I cannot describe how enchanting these pages are. I mean, they are just beautiful. If I was a twelve year old reading this book, this would be one of those things that I would I would just read again and again and again, just just because the pages are so beautiful. This looks like a superhero book. This looks like a science fiction, fantastic four, we're out there exploring stuff book. And this would this is the this is the kind of book that would have really jazzed me when I was a kid. Um, one of the things that really tickled me in, the, in this issue is when Reed Richards is giving his briefing. He's doing it in the family room, <laughs> you know, sitting next to the to the to the widescreen TV, drinking a cup of coffee. On the family's on the couch, and he's you know explaining what's going on. I thought that was hysterical. You know, there there really is a a sense of humor and a sense of family that has returned to the book that that I'm really enjoying. You know, uh, Wayne has commented a couple of times about Johnny Storm in his uh, shorts and boots in the uh, in the Arctic last time around. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I I just I'm I'm really getting a kick out of the the uh, the humor in the book. Now, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting is the Avengers have a Quinjet that allows them to fly up into space. How many times have we seen the Fantastic Four have a jet that lets them fly into space? I yeah, mean, but they use a, a multi-stick a rocket. rocket to get there. I'm like, huh. You know, <laughs> why? Uh, I, why I was bothered by that, too. It's like, <laughs> how many times have we seen them go into space with some sort of fantastic car yeah. traveling far, you know, far further than the moon? Yeah. And I mean, and they go to the moon because the Inhumans are there on and off. Right. Yet they're back to a... Well, you said a four-stage rocket. Yeah. Well, you see, Reed Richards believes in recycling, so he's using old Soviet technology. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, and where have Franklin and Valeria been through all this? I don't know. Yeah, if you read the letters page, they actually – someone asked him that, and he said that they are coming back. We'll see them very soon within the next uh, couple of issues again. But they were just trying to establish – these settings first. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I, those are all the things that I really liked about the book. Um, what I disliked about the book and it's, it's exactly what, uh, what you guys were saying. It's another book where really not a whole lot happens. Um, you know, we discover stuff, we see that, Oh God, here's going to be another problem because, you know, they have clearly on the last page, they put their sights on earth. You know, they, they, they have made the decision that Earth is where they're going to be moving to. And, uh, you know, so, so that's clearly going to be a problem. Um, this was the first time I didn't care for the little um, executive summary at the end of the book. Because it really it, it told you a whole bunch of stuff that, that uh, you know, the Light Brigade, for instance, that we didn't see in the story. Um, I just I, – I, I didn't much care for the summary page. Yeah, I like the summary and all the others because yeah. it's been basically a here's what happens after you leave so we don't have to establish this information. Yeah. You know, you don't need to see them open, opening diplomatic communications and right. things. This one wasn't that. It was just information. Well, well this one introduces a whole group that uh, we, we didn't see in the issue. Yeah, you know, this one talks about the Light Brigades, an elite comp- is an elite group comprised of the six greatest Inhuman warriors, and it goes on to talk about them. And you know that no Light Brigade has ever survived longer than a year. And I'm like, um, 
uh, we didn't talk about that in the book. <laughs> you know, why is that part of the why is that part of the summary? If you're well, not- because they didn't survive off panel to make it onto panel. <laughs> Some don't even survive a whole panel. Yeah, but I, I, I sure am enjoying. You know these books that that Hickman and Eaglesham have put out. Uh, I really, I'm more excited now about the Fantastic Four than I've been since John Byrne worked on the title, uh, way back when. I think it's good stuff. I'm ready for him to move into the story now. You know, yeah, this is, this all seems set up in filler, and I'm looking forward to the story because yeah. I said each one of these is a great issue on its own. Yeah, it just something needs to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know what I think's missing is that there's not a B story. It's all A. You know, it's all, you know, we're the Fantastic Four and we're going off and we're discovering this. I think they could have uh, bumped up the drama if there had been a B story, you know, talking about, you know, maybe Franklin or Valeria, something like that, so that you do have some conflict going on. It's just not in the main story. Yeah, there's no subplots going on. Yeah, and I, I I think that's what the book is lacking. Now, I think that had a hard time to fit it in there because all of these panels are just so pretty. They're you know, so you know what I think is missing from Fantastic Four. What would that be, John? A female Asian ninja badass. <laughs> I happen to know where you can find one. Where would Green that be, Hornet man? Number two. Indeed. <laughs> well, Green Hornet number two came out this week, and uh, we all really enjoyed Green Hornet number one. So let's go around the table. Paul, did you read this one? I did, indeed. And um, I liked it. I did like it. Um, I I wish a little more had happened in it. Uh, It was a a good portion of the issue was just talking. Um, You know, it it really does read like a movie script. Absolutely agree. This would definitely be. You know, I could see this working as a movie. It it doesn't work as well as a comic, but I think it still works, and I I enjoyed it. I'm I'm sticking with it. Yeah, you know the what is it? The first, I mean, golly, it's the it's more than half of the book is talky, and you yeah. know that that's certainly a hallmark of Kevin Smith comic books. But I think I, I think you're absolutely right that it, it sure does show um, that it's an adapted movie script because yeah. you know by the by the time you get to the conflict in the book, I mean, I'm almost like God, you know, is 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 this all this issue is going to be? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I honestly, you know, at the rate it's going, I think it's a six-issue miniseries. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm right on that. You know, we're not going to see the Green Hornet himself until issue five. Uh, and that's probably typical the end of, of comic book origin movies. I mean, yeah, exactly. If you think you know, about it, how, you know, how quickly do you see Batman actually in full Batman costume? It's developing over the time in Batman Begins. I think we're kind of going to see that here, too, is that... It's not going to be to the very end that he puts on the costume for the first time. Wait a minute. This is a miniseries? I think so. Oh, I'm pissed. <laughs> well, you know, but I think, it's, it's, I think the story based on Kevin Smith's screenplay is a miniseries, and I think they are going to then take that story further with other writers. Oh, okay. But, you know, okay. going back to our point, you know, it, it, and I, I can wait an hour and a half to see a hero in a costume. If I have to wait five issues to see the hero get into the costume, you know, it, it's a little bit long of a wait. Right. You know? Ultimate but Spider-Man. Again. All right. Now, wait. Hold on, people. Were we not just talking about Fantastic Four 577? Am I mistaken that we were not just talking about an issue that was all talky? And yeah, but they were in their costumes. Four issues of all talky? <laughs> but they were in their costumes. 
big oh. Yeah, I have to say, this is actually, <laughs> this is my book of the week this week. And one of the reasons that is, is because, yeah, there's a lot of talking, which I have no problem with. I was a fan of the original Ultimate Universe as it started. And that was all talking for Ultimate Spider-Man for the first five, six issues. But I saw something in this issue that I have never seen anywhere else, either in movie or comic book. You have the typical argument between the father and son sitting on the park bench. But he's actually developed both characters enough that it's not one of them just bickering at the other. You've, you know the story behind both of them. And it's one of those situations where you're sitting there, you're reading it, and it's a little bit awkward of a conversation between the two. But it's actually a give and a take. These are always one-sided. Mm-hmm. I have never seen such a fully fleshed out this scene, which we've seen a million times before. I've never seen it this fully fleshed out mm-hmm. where you're sitting there and you actually know for both characters in the conversation what's going on in their heads. And I really enjoyed that. I actually stopped after I read it and paused. And I was like, I've, I know I've seen this scene a million times before. But I've never enjoyed this scene this much before. I've never known both characters like this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really disappointed because one of the one of the things I was going to really say uh, about this, I can't say knowing now what I know. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know that it's a uh, that it's a miniseries, or you know, or like a script adapted to comic book. You know, it was planned for a movie because the, I'm reading it and I'm looking at all of the future plot threads that are being laid. And I'm like, oh, apparently a lot is not going to happen with that stuff. Or if it does, it's going to be a big letdown because it's going to happen all at once. You know, I'm well, just no, looking I, at all, all the players in all the players in this book yeah. and, and what, what can happen with them. And I feel like I'm going to be disappointed by that now. Well, I mean, it's still, I, I'm still enjoying it. Don't get me wrong. I am enjoying it. And obviously, it's not going to stay just in these six issues. I mean, there's an ad in here for Kevin Smith's Kato based on the female ninja badass assassin. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it bugs me because they're already advertising issue number two and issue number one hasn't come out. But, you know, um, you know so the, the story is not going to be confined to these six issues, I think. Uh, you know, even the script, you know, that that was by, written by Kevin Smith, I'm sure it either set up for sequels oh, I'm sure. or they're interjecting things that they will follow up with follow-up miniseries or follow-up ongoing series. Yeah. I, I think. Yeah, I think there are, you know, I, I don't think everything's going to be resolved in these six issues. Now, the uh, when it finally does get to some action at the at, towards the end of, the, of this issue, I, I spent a lot of time uh, going back and looking at those panels because the uh, the fight scene is actually very well choreographed. Um, you know, the I, I guess we're going to be calling her Kato, our lady ninja badass, uh, in this book. And you know, I'm, I'm looking like her. Uh, she's using parts of her dress, like the scarf on her dress, uh, you know, as a weapon. You know, and there's this great scene where she uh, takes one of the uh, the the bad guy's uh, sword. And uses it as a weapon attached to her scarf, so she uses it to extend the reach. And of course, you know we see that you know Cato doesn't mind killing people. <laughs> you know this this isn't uh, you know Batman and Robin. This is uh, Green Hornet and Cato, or at least eventually will be. And uh, you know they they kill the bad guys here. 
And I, I, I thought that I thought the, the the scenes were very well choreographed. Though I'm a little disturbed to find out that uh, we are revealed on one panel that Kato wears granny panties. I just assumed it was she was a thong girl. <laughs> <laughs> you think it would be easier to fight in a thong? You, I, I would think so. I would think so. But you know, I found it interesting that as soon as he sees the uh, the hornet darts, the first thing he says is Kato, looking at her. Yeah. You mean the only Kato he knows was a guy? He naturally thinks Kato when he sees this. Well, you know, because super because uh, because he's racist and he stereotypes. Obviously, <laughs> anyone throwing darts who's Asian, he just calls them Kato. It's actually <laughs> it's actually an offensive term in some cultures. <laughs> well, and all those Asian folks look alike, so. Yeah. <laughs> But he never, he, never, like he all... never knew Kato was into cross-dressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's going like to be all like Green Hornet. I liked it. I liked it. I, I thought it was a little too talky up front. And I, you know, I'm right there with you, Wayne. I enjoyed the park scene between uh, father and son. What mm-hmm. I did not enjoy was uh, the conference room scene at the beginning of the book. That went on and on and on. It went for four pages. Could have been two. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting setup for the character too, because we see that he is he is still loyal to his previous friend, and he's sticking by it, mm-hmm. even though it's kind of obvious that he's wrong at this point. I mean, right. his friend is partially on the take. His friend, you know, is going to lose this election, and he's just so stubborn and stuck in his ways that he's using the paper, you know, basically editorially. Not at all trying to be fair or balanced whatsoever. And yeah. here's, the, here's the thing. How do you hide your secret identity if you walk around with a green tie on all the time? <laughs> I mean, green ties are so uncommon that you're pretty much just letting people know. You're the green hornet. No, I'm the no. green arrow. <laughs> the green lantern. <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, so, uh, oh, go ahead. So, Paul, uh, prelude to Death, death Pool Core. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Dead Paul Core. Yeah, whatever the hell that thing is. <laughs> You're uh, the only one ever anywhere that's reading it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? <laughs> yeah, Prelude to Deadpool Core um, was a weekly event, which is going to be followed up by Deadpool Core. Um, now, it was a five issue miniseries written by. Um, Victor Gishler, who I guess is the writer for Deadpool Merc with a Mouth, which made me really hesitate to pick up this series. But the first issue had art by Rob Liefeld. Um, and the second issue had art by Wills Portacio. You know, they were going to have some pretty decent artists on this series, uh, Paco Medina. So I started picking up the, this series, The Prelude to Deadpool Core. And let me tell you, I enjoyed the hell out of the first four issues. I thought they were all really funny, very different. You know, you get the different universe versions of Deadpool. I mean, some hilarious stuff in all four of the first four issues. And then issue five came out this week. And issue five is probably one of the worst comic books I have ever read in my history of reading comic books. It it, it is just such a stark contrast to the first four issues that... You know, I had on my pull list Deadpool Core uh, starting next week. Uh, issue one comes out next week, 
and I, I was looking forward to it because based on the, the, the first couple of issues of this series, I, I've taken it off my list. I, I was so disgusted with issue five of the prelude that I, I'm just done with this storyline. So, Paul, what was the storyline? Well, basically, Deadpool has been tasked with saving the multiverse. And the only way to save the multiverse, or his, so he assembles his team, and since he can't think of anyone in the Marvel Universe who he wants to team up with, um, or that, that would be as good as him for this job, he goes to alternate universes and gets alternate universe versions of himself. So he gets Lady Deadpool, Kidpool, Headpool, which is the zombie Deadpool, um, and Kidpool, and Dogpool. I think I, I think I said Kidpool. Oh my god. <laughs> Dogpool? Dogpool. We <laughs> um, can't you know gloss what? over that one. <laughs> but that issue was hilarious. But my favorite issue is the issue with Kidpool, who it, it's like an X-Men, a baby, not a baby, like a, a kid X-Men universe. We're all, you know, he, he's in Xavier's school with Cyclops, and you know, but they're all like kids. Uh, and Xavier's a teenager who tries to impress the white, um, the white queen by wearing a wig. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, 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 it's actually really funny stuff. But you know, once the team was assembled at the end of issue four, they go on their first mission in issue five. Um, you know, and, and the art is by Kyle Baker, who you know he, he does a lot of experimental stuff. But this stuff was, I mean, the art was atrocious. I couldn't understand what was going on. You know, it, it looked like, remember when they were big into making uh, computer-generated comic books back in the, the 90s? You had like an Iron Man computer-generated comic book and a Batman yeah. one. Yeah. It was that type of crap. Mm. I mean, just horrible, horrible stuff. Um, I was, you know, I was so disappointed in that fifth, fifth issue. But it really did start great, which is, you know, it, it's... It's tragic that it ended that way because whether Deadpool Core is going to be good or not, I'm not going to stick with it. I was looking for titles to drop, and uh, this one issue was that Paul, bad to make me drop. Paul, I am so glad that issue five was bad, dude, because I was sitting <laughs> here, I was sitting here just stunned and speechless, like you had just told me, like snowballing, it ain't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I'm I'm really I'm really glad you you brought it back to a safe place for all of us. <laughs> yeah, issue five is my safe word. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, tragic, tragic. But you know, hopefully, this week's issue of Teen Titans wasn't as tragic as the last one for for Tim. I look okay. forward to hearing this review because. Basically, every time you come on to review Teen Titans, it makes me feel better about having dropped the book. <laughs> so I'm on the edge of my seat. Let's hear it. Because uh, I sound like you, Wayne. Yeah, it was disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get the next one. <laughs> uh, um, I, I, I sat here on this podcast. Well, I was on this podcast last time talking about Teen Titans. And I said, if I don't see Superboy or Kid Flash in this book, I'm not getting it again. And, uh, well, it's kind of useless to put a spoiler warning, because if you saw the cover, you kind of know what happens. But um, uh, I got the book, so that should tell you what, what happens in the end. Um, the the main story is, again, this Holocaust character, which is uh, Static's whole nemesis, has um, captured the, you know, the Teen Titans. And he's basically beaten them all by the end of this book, which is, 
I think it's kind of ridiculous, but you know, whatever, I'll go with it. Um, but there's there's the scene with Cyborg um, talking to some shadows and saying maybe it's time you, you, you should come back out of retirement. And sure enough, at the end, you see Superboy and Kid Flash and Cyborg bust on this wall and uh, face off with Holocaust. And let me tell you, it was like they were busting down that wall to my heart. I'm so happy that they're yeah. back. I I <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you how happy I am that I, these these characters are back. I'm I've been waiting for this, and you know it'll it'll probably let me down at some point. You know Wayne's probably right. They'll probably bring in Damian Robin, who uh, will probably st- uh, stifle my uh, happiness. But yes. Uh, I'm pretty sure that they listen to funny books, and they're like, look, we've only got one reader. We can't lose them, so let's put these guys in this book. <laughs> Apparently the writer at Dead, you know, Dead Corp pool wasn't listening, because they're only readers here. Well, you know, the the bad thing about that one is I waited until the end of the series to talk about it. If I had started talking about it at the beginning, I might have been able to save it. Yeah. you could. It's all because of you, Paul. Yep. This failure. I this, think this. I think it's a good thing that you waited. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure a few episodes ago you would have been committed. Uh, <laughs> so Baker uh, makes with Jonathan. Then. So so Tim, what did they set up in Teen Titans eighty one? Um, they're setting up this this final showdown with this Holocaust character with uh, Kid Flash and Superboy and Cyborg because, like I said, he, the Holocaust had basically beaten the rest of the Titans. Um, he'd been picking them off in, in, in a smaller group, so he hadn't beaten the whole team yet. Mm. And I think they're setting it up for uh, Superboy and Kid Flash and Cyborg to kick this guy's rear end. And I guess Red Robin's not back to the book yet? No, he is not at, as of this uh, ep- as of this issue. So you liked it? I, I liked it, yeah. Tell us, tell us about the artwork. Um, Joe Bennett artwork, um, which is good because I said last issue they had, they had interspaced – um, a different artist in which I didn't like, but Joe Bennett's been the the artist on on this run for quite some time, and like I said, it's the main reason I get the book. I, I like the artwork. Um, I think they've got some. Maybe they've got a new colorist because I'm not I'm not so sure about the the color on the book, but um, I I can overlook that with my abundance of joy for seeing Super White Kid Flash. Who was the uh, Who was the letterist? <laughs> God, you're an ass. Uh, your mom. God. That's because we give a good review every once in a while. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like I took his seat at the table and now he's mad at me. I, don't know what's going on. I was just waiting for you to give me a name so I could be like, ooh, they do good work. Yeah, those, those letters rock. Hmm. <laughs> So uh, Booster Gold number 30 is a book that actually came out a couple of weeks ago, but we hadn't had the opportunity to discuss it. And Wayne and I both read it. And I, I fully believe that Booster Gold is the best book that DC's putting out right now. I entirely agree with you. It is by far the best book DC's putting out right now. And uh, the uh, there is certainly a nostalgia trend that runs through this book because of all the, the time traveling. And uh, we've all talked about how much we like continuity and we like things to actually stick in with continuity. And that's all this book does is play in and out of that continuity. Yeah. And uh, issue 30 uh, finishes up the Coast City storyline where uh, Booster returns to Coast City shortly before it's destroyed uh, back at the end of the reign of the Superman storyline back in the 90s. 
And, you know, it, 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 there really are some hard choices that uh, Booster has to make uh, throughout this book on who gets saved and who doesn't. You know, what, who, what's going to corrupt the timeline and what's not going to corrupt the timeline. Yeah, I mean, how can you be a superhero that travels through time, drop in the middle of a city that's about to be destroyed, and not go through what he did? Yeah. The, the whole, I need to save people. Yeah. These people are all about to die. Here's a little child. I need to save this child. And yeah, it was it was it was a, a terrific story. And I love that you know Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway uh, were doing the art on it because those were the same guys who were doing the art on the books back in the '90s. And you know, so it's really got that nice. I mean, it's it's that complete complete nostalgia. I think uh, I just I thought the artwork was just brilliant. Uh, yeah, and my book. favorite part of the whole issue, we've seen Rip discuss it, and we know that. We found out a while back that Booster is Rip's father. Right. And we actually saw in the past couple issues, there has been a mysterious character in the background that's been doing things to push Booster towards the path of defending the time stream and not just saving everyone. And I thought all this time that that was going to be Rip Hunter, that he was going to secretly snuck in and was helping Booster along. And we find out this issue that no... That's an older version of Booster. Yeah. And I got a big kick out of seeing these, this older version of Booster there, seeing the fully adult version. Yeah. Well, and I, I got uh, uh, a little concerned when I read the end of the book. I mean, didn't you have this, this, this feeling that uh, this was the end of the series? You know, when you got to that last page, and it was, and this is the first time we get to see future Booster, and you know, you get to that last page, that last panel, and it's, you know, when the time is right, I'll be back. The end. And I went, holy crap, they're canceling my my series. And I, I had the same concern too because yeah. it wrapped everything up fairly nicely. Yeah, I I immediately ran to the computer to to make sure that it was in the solicits for for April because it scared the hell out of me, Wayne. <laughs> It really did. I mean, it just it 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 tied everything up with a nice little bow, and had that had that sense like done. And I knew that Dan Jurgens was leaving the title. I think he's. I think issue thirty one is his last uh, his last appearance on the book, and, and that concerns me because Dan Jurgens has driven this book since Jeff Johns left. You know. Yeah. And, I mean, and I've been I've been a fan of him for a while. I mean, yeah. No, I'm, through a lot of the stuff he's playing in history wise. Uh-huh. I'm noticing are his original stories. That's so. right. Well, he, he wrote could, a lot in the Death of Superman, so yeah. it's nice to see him wrap it up with a Death of Superman story. Yeah. Well, and you know, he created Booster Gold. This is his character. This is the character that he created way back when, and you know, so it's nice to see him get to do something awesome with this character. You know, uh, again. So I, I, I really dig this book. I, I'm very concerned about Jurgens leaving the title, and I'm I'm just hopeful that DC stays with it and puts somebody on it who. Uh, you know, shares our, our love for the character because, man, I love this book. On the positive side, though, if uh, if the new new writer doesn't manage to pull it out, then it'll be just one of the one more book from DC that ends up getting dropped. I <laughs> dropped most of them at this point. Yeah, it's this is one of the last ones that I pick up every, and it's still the first book I read when I get it. Doesn't matter what else comes out, that is the best book DC is putting out. Yeah. Well, and. There was a recent announcement, and I want to touch on it super quick um, because uh, it's fresh and it'll still be fresh on Monday. Um, is that there won't be a Batman, a Batwoman miniseries for you guys to buy either? Damn it! Uh, because Greg Rucka is leaving DC. Really? Yep. 
It was announced this weekend at WonderCon. Really? That's that's a pretty big loss for them. That is a huge yeah. loss. Is he going to Marvel? No, he's going to be working on novels. Oh, wow. That is huge. Well, at least DC yeah. still has Grant Morrison. <laughs> and, and he needs James to Robinson. stay there. <laughs> and, and I'd like to point out, Wayne, that there is no Booster Gold solicit for May. Don't point that out. Uh, yeah, there's there's no booster gold solicit for May. I know that there there is a solicit in April for issue thirty one. Yeah, issue thirty one is solicited, and it is uh, la la la. Because I did go out and I saw there was a thirty one. Yeah, I didn't look but there is that. no solicit for thirty two. Uh, uh, yeah, that that, that doesn't. Uh, but no, that there is a solicit for thirty two. There's a link to it at the bottom of the page here, written by Keith Giffen. Giffen's a good writer. Yeah, he is a good writer. No, there is a solicit for 32. You just scared me there. Uh, I was scared too because when you look at May overall, it's not there, but there is a link to it at the back bottom of the Booster Gold page. Phew, crisis averted. <laughs> well, speaking of crises or crises. 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 James Robinson still writes for DC. Yeah, yeah, he probably shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have to say – you know, you guys have you know, Paul every week is asking me, why in the world are you reading the the Justice League and the Green Arrow books? You know, because I've I've been following the the rise and fall of uh, Arsenal and and Green Arrow, and uh, I have to say, Justice League of America number forty three is my last issue of Justice League of America. This book broke me. This book was so bad. Um, did anybody else read this? Am I the only one that read this turkey? Yep, the, worst the only person before. in the world. Uh, man, I, I you know the here's the thing is I love James Robinson. I even love Mark Bagley. Um, so you know Mark Bagley's doing the art and uh, uh, Robinson's doing the writing. Um, I love some of the characters in this book. I love Con Gorilla. Con Gorilla's in this book. I should love this book. I love you know uh, 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 Michael the Starman. He's in this book. I should love it. I love Green Arrow. I love all of these characters. I hate this book. This is at least, it's got to be the fourth book of Justice League of America where the team still hasn't come together. You're still having the exact same issues every week. And this absolutely drove me crazy. They have been very clear that the story, the rise and fall, comes after Blackest Night and after after, uh, Justice League Cry for Justice. Okay, so both of these two significant events occur prior to this story. So, um, in the narration, Green Arrow is talking, and he is talking about how much he misses John Jones, you know, the Martian Manhunter, and Arthur Curry, Aquaman. Um, did he not read Blackest Night number eight? Because I did. And both of those guys came back from the dead. You would think that that's kind of a significant event, and he'd remember that. Hello? <laughs> Hello. I, I've got no argument for you, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Damn right. I just I, – it is a, a, a glaring oversight and continuity. Pulled me right out of the book. Now, the artwork is very pretty in this book. But the story is so poorly handled, and I'm tired of, you know, we've seen uh, uh, the Green Arrow story where he kills Prometheus, 
And there's in this book, they still haven't figured out that Green Arrow has killed Prometheus. Well, we saw that two books ago. You know, the the, the, the storylines are so out of sync that it just it just feels like you're reading a repeat and filler. And this book was awful. And I'm done with you, Justice League of America. I'm done with you. Woohoo! Finally, <laughs> there's no uh, justice. God, it was no. it's just awful, just awful. So well, I'm sorry to hear that, Aaron. But Paul, you have an indie spotlight for us this week. Yeah, yeah, it, it's something maybe we should do more frequently because we we do focus primarily on you know uh, either Robert Kirkman's haunt. DC or Marvel, um, and we don't touch too much on independent books because you know not many of us read a ton of independent books, and those that we read, like Wayne, typically suck. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is not true. We just don't talk about them. <laughs> but I wanted to give a shout out to a couple of indie books that came out this week um, because they were so damn good. Um, Grim Fairy Tales presents Escape from Wonderland issue number six came out this week. Um, written by Raven Gregory. We've talked about it before. We've interviewed Raven Gregory a couple of times on ideologyofmadness.com. This is the final book of the trilogy, um, the Wonderland trilogy from Xenoscope Press, and, um, or Xenoscope Entertainment, whatever the... Xenoscope. There you go. Um, it's a fantastic read. I really loved every book of this series, and uh, I highly recommend checking out, um, starting at the beginning, Return to Wonderland. Uh, it, it's it's been great. It's been absolutely great. You know, uh, and I haven't read them all, but I've read some of those, and I've absolutely loved all of them I've read. I just my shop doesn't get everything in, especially if it's not one of the big companies. So I have a hard time sometimes keeping up with titles like that. And I've kind of picked it up on and off just when I saw it out there, and I've enjoyed every issue I've read. Yeah, um, Xenoscope dot com. You know, they typically have sales, so you, you might be able to get the hardback pretty cheap. Um, you know, they are an independent publisher. They're not everywhere. You're not going to find all their stuff everywhere. You know, I, I took the wife to see Alice in Wonderland this week, the Tim Burton one. And the entire time I'm watching it, I'm like, this is garbage. First of all, I hated the movie. But second of all, you know, I, I knew this you know, this other version of Wonderland that I was currently reading by Raven Gregory was so good. And it's very dark. Um, you know, it's very creepy. It's You know, it's a very horror story. Um, but, you know, it has a, a very kind of bittersweet ending that is probably the only way it could have ended. Uh, but it, it was extremely well done, and I do really recommend it. I don't know if I can agree with you here, Paul. You don't read it. <laughs> I know, but there's – I mean, I mean, come on, guys. Who wants to read a comic book without, like, somebody in tights or somebody, like, firing blasts from their eyes or something? Me? Well, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read a lot of books that aren't actually superhero ones. I, you know, I don't talk about them much, but yeah, for a while there, my list was more, you know, more of the smaller companies than it was the big two. And now it's kind of gone back to mostly the big two. But yeah, I, there are quite a few books out there that are you'll read through them and they'll be all character driven, not much action at all. That I've really enjoyed. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, sticking with sticking off the superhero topic, you know, Razzle number seven came out this week, um, written by written drawn everything by uh, Jeff Smith, the uh, creator of Bone. And this book, I mean, I read this book and I feel smarter. 
<laughs> which is something I don't get from any other comic books. Um, you know, well, in fact, some know, of them you feel less smart. <laughs> like Justice League of America. Yeah. Um, you know, but he, he, he does a lot of research. Uh, there's a lot of – this book is highly into the fringe science um, you know, uh, genre. Uh, you learn a lot about Nikola Tesla and things like that, you know, a lot about the history of fringe science. Um, Razzle is a, an art thief who jumps to different dimensions to steal art from the other dimensions. Um, so, you know, uh, like a Picasso in our dimension, you know, is worth millions upon millions of dollars, but in another dimension, it's just a piece of art. So he'll go into the other dimension to steal it because it doesn't have the same security that it would in our dimension. Um, you know, and and it's, it's really extremely well done stuff. Uh, my, my main gripe with it is that it's been coming out for a year and a half, I think, and we're only on issue seven. Yeah. Um, issue eight doesn't come out until June. And, um, but this is the final issue of the, the, like the, the second story arc. They go in like three or four issue story arcs. Um, so it's going to be collected. Uh, and the, I think the trade paperback comes out in April. So, you know, I definitely recommend checking out Razzle. It's a great book. You know, I, I've been very interested in Razzle. Uh, I, uh, I, I guess I'm going to read it in trade, uh, I, but, I, but I am very interested in that book. Yeah, the impression I get is that Razzle is only going to be between 12 and 15 issues total. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, if you want to wait till the end, wait till the end. Um, you know, but they have some pretty spectacular trade collections out of it now, at least of the first storyline called The Drift. Uh, and you really should check it out. I mean, they have oversized collections, so you get, you know, the, the, the beautiful art, you know, in an oversized collection. Well, and you gave away one of those books. You know, and, and, and Yeah. And, and I really wanted to win that contest. <laughs> nope, not for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, maybe there will be another chance when book two comes out. Excellent. Well, did you have and anything else that you wanted to spotlight independently? One more from IDW Publishing and EA Comics. Dragon Age, which uh, apparently everyone on the show wanted to read, but no one did read. <laughs> um, no, I had no interest in reading it. Oh, okay. I haven't played the game yet, so I fell prey I to the uh, dangers of shopping at El Camino Comics, and, uh, <laughs> but I did. But I did get a free knife uh, with my purchase, which is always handy. Excellent. <laughs> sure. um, yeah. No, I, I, my comic book guy was like, I wasn't sure how much that would sell, and I'm like, that's understandable. You know, but it's understandable, it. but at the same time, Dragon Age was a big seller as far as video games were concerned. I haven't. Seen and you know, Dragon video- Age is doing huge on the video game side as well as on the role playing game side. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The the pen and paper game side of that and the the video are just doing huge. Whoa! What I mean, what pen and paper game? There's a there's a Dragon Age role playing game out. Are you serious? Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. doing it's doing gigantic business. I'm buying it today. If, if you weren't so liquored up, if you're the Kanye, to saw it at the gaming table. <laughs> Holy crap! I would have bought um, it then. I think they did have a copy for sale there. Yeah. Oh did. God. <laughs> no, and it's it's even a good price point. It's like thirty bucks, thirty thirty five bucks. It's a, it's an excellent price point for that game. So you know. But um. Sorry. Yeah, but you know, I mean, no, no, I mean, video game comics sell better than normal comics. I mean, Gears of War. Yeah. Um, was a huge hit. Um, so I'm surprised that most comic shops aren't jumping on this. I think they but, don't understand. Yeah. I, I think that's what it is. I mean, you know, uh, uh, 
independent publishers don't sell as well as Marvel and DC, and you look at that, and man, who's going to want that? And you, you know, that. and it's sad in this case because this is from IDW. I mean, they they make a lot of good books. I mean, they're not exactly a small name anymore. They they've become I don't want to say a household name, but in the comics industry, they're essentially a household name. So, yeah, Paul, I mean, tell, tell us about this comic book so I can get a torch and uh, go start the start the uh, writing. We do not advocate burning down your comic book shop. No. But, you know, <laughs> you know all, I don't get why comic shops wouldn't order it because between the video game tie-in and the fact that it's written by Orson Scott Card. Yeah. Come on. It, yeah. It's a win-win oh, situation. I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't buy it again. <laughs> I, that... I, 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 I like refuse to buy anything by Orson Scott Card. Well, he has a co-writer, so maybe that will help. Aaron See, Johnson. I don't have a problem with him as a writer. I have a problem with him as a comic book writer. Because I would say The Ultimate Iron Man was one of the worst miniseries I'd ever read. Totally. And he was responsible for it. Yeah. His well, style have, of writing just doesn't fit for comics at all. I have a problem with him as a person. I agree with you there as well. <laughs> <laughs> Guy's a jackass. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't know much about him. I just know he's the name. Um, but I, you know, I gotta say, Dragon Age number one was my book of the week. Um, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, you know, and uh, it, 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 the story is a little stereotypical. It, it, the story kind of reminded me a lot of Willow, the movie Willow. Yeah. You know, you have the baby that's born who's supposed to change everything. And, you know, they want to kill the baby, so the mother has to get the baby away before she's killed, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the art's good. The story's good. I like the characters. I like where it's going. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, now, Dragon Age number one, book of the week for cool. me. I would have really have suspected that uh, Blackest Night number eight was going to be your book of the week, Paul. Oh, Blackest Night number eight was the blackest night of the year for me. (laughs) (laughs) Which leads us into our very last Blackest Night update. Oh, yeah. Now, you know, since we have been doing the podcast, we have had a Blackest Night update. So this is is a big day for us. Um, And, you know, just to kind of carry you back through Blackest Night... Paul and I were hot for this book when it started. Uh, we were crazy about Blackest Night. We were as jazzed as we could be. We both were looking forward to it coming out. We enjoyed the first several books. Um, and, you know, and if you remember, Aaron actually made love to the first issue on air. Uh, on air, yeah. 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 copy after that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Jonathan and I were going to get you guys a present to celebrate the end of Blackest Night, but we figured you already had enough disappointment in your lives. Yeah, <laughs> thank, you. thank you. Well, it, and it was grossly disappointing. Um, so all I, well, I have more than this to say. But the first thing I have to say is, this is an event that's been foretold in the universe for years. This is an event that they talk about way forward into the uh, into the Legion's time frame as being this horrible night. This was, you know, the worst thing ever. Oh. Yet when you look at it, okay. Zombies show up and everyone's back to life. Yeah. How is that a bad thing? How is this the worst night ever? If there's no consequences whatsoever, well, only people living again. That's all. And let's take a look at this. You know, they made a big damn deal of Sinestro becoming the white white lantern. He's the white lantern at the end of Blackest Night number seven. No, at the end of Green Lantern, uh, the the recent Green Lantern book. Uh, I'm in the, the issue before too. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Green, Green Lantern. 
it was at the end of Blackest Night number seven. He okay. got the yeah. he got the ring right then, and then they moved on into Green Lantern. So you know, it, the big damn deal. He becomes the White Lantern, and within just one, two, I mean, within four pages, he's not the White Lantern anymore. <laughs> it just it blows my mind how. They quickly will set something up, and you're like, okay, well, this is going to be interesting. Let's explore that. No exploration. It's just we've made a change. I, 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 this book frustrates me to no, to no end. Um, we have a situation where uh, the Justice League are immediately transformed from Black Lanterns to White Lanterns. But, you know, the Justice League never really did anything as Black Lanterns. No, not even in any of the... Many different tie-ins that seem to not move the story along whatsoever. And why the hell didn't you have a Justice League Blackest Night miniseries of them going off and doing terrible things? I would have loved to have seen that. And then carry, you know, the responsibility of all the crap they did while they were Black Lanterns back into their other books. You know, why didn't a Black, you know, Black Lantern Superman visit Lois Lane? Exactly. Well, and where the hell was Lois Lane in all of this? Other than the you know uh, the the alter- alternate Earth Lois Lane that, that we saw, we never saw Lois. No, and, and all those miniseries that could have really fed the story, yeah. didn't do squat. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know what this thing has served to do is that we have resurrected the Anti Monitor. Which, Along with everyone else. Well, no, not everyone Let's else. Let's be honest. With the anti-monitor, I mean, he, he's been back so many times. Is resurrecting him even a big deal? Well, he was just here a year ago. And who gives a fuck about the anti-monitor? That's my thing. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, he, was a, he was a manufactured villain for Crisis on the Infinite Earths. He has shown up in, in almost every crisis story since then. But really, other than that, who cares? I don't care about the anti-monitor. Does anyone on the call care about the anti-monitor? I care I do. more about Maxwell Lord coming back than the anti-monitor. <laughs> and I think that I, was I love the anti-monitor. Yeah, uh, yeah of course, John. My favorite but. DC character ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, recorded for posterity. Okay, so in the big fold-out in the center of the book, we've got okay, all the characters. Before we go into the detail of the fold-out, I have to say, if you put a fold-out in your book, I know something important is going to happen in those on those pages. Yeah, I don't like fold outs in books. It's just one big something's going to happen when you unfold this page. Yeah. Just make it a double page spread. Come yeah. on. Well, uh, left to right, Max Lord, Hawk, and thank you, Rob Liefeld, for uh, spoiling that on Twitter. Um, Jade, <laughs> um, Boomerang, the original Boomerang, Firestorm, uh, the original Firestorm, Martian Manhunter. Uh, uh, Aquaman, Hawkman, Hawk Girl, Professor Zoom, Dead Man, who I guess now is going to be Live Man, and uh, Osiris from the uh, Black Lantern. Uh, I'm sorry, Black Adam stories. So, does anyone else notice how being dead apparently is the the best way to shave? Because every one of these characters is very clean shaven. Oh yeah, they're all nice and shiny. Now here's yeah. okay. I want to complain from left to right. Okay. Max Lord had a wonderful death scene. You know, a very it, it, important death scene and it was recent. Yeah, and and, and that was in uh, the the build up to Infinite Crisis and it was fantastic. 
Yep, and it's, I hate the Jedi mind trick he does on Guy just to get away in this issue. And come on. He's not a required character for the universe. He, I mean, I'm sorry. Did anybody care about Max Lord before he was killed? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, come on. Leave him dead. It was a great scene. And again, it just happened a couple of years ago. Okay, Hawk comes back. Again, who gives a damn about Hawk? Yeah, I mean, and, and he's and is he a hawk or is he? What was the character he became for Armageddon two thousand one? Yeah, monarch. monarch. Yeah, you know, but uh, he's going to be in the Birds of Prey. So I'm guessing, I don't know, is this pre Monarch Hawk? Is this redemption of Monarch Hawk? You know, what is? Yeah, it? there's a lot of questions there. Um, I, I I have never cared for the hawk character. Um, I like what they're doing with the new dove, so you know maybe I'll give that a chance. But I don't understand the necessity to resurrect this guy as opposed to just creating a new hawk, because you know hawk and dove have the powers that are applied to them. You know their mm-hmm. powers are assigned from from the the you know uh, gods of order and the gods of chaos. So you know why does it need to? Why does why does hawk have to come back? I don't get that. Now Jade is returned, and I've always liked Jade. Yeah, this is the only character out of all of them that I was actually happy to see come back. Absolutely. And they already hint at the reason, one of the reasons I'm happy to see it, her come back. Well, that's and that's her, Kyle Rayner's life. <laughs> yeah, that is her jumping in his arms, kissing him in front of his new girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. I, I like just that they've already hinted that that storyline is coming. Yeah. I, I will be picking up Green Lantern Corp because that's the only book Kyle's in yeah. going forward just because she is back. Yeah. This is the only return here that I actually like. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I, 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 I've always enjoyed Jade, so yay on that. Boomerang, I think it's interesting that they bring him back right after his son is killed. Yeah. Right after he killed his son. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um Interesting about Firestorm because, you know, uh, one of the, the most powerful scenes in the book, in, in this story, has been when the zombie Dr. Light killed uh, Firestorm's uh, female counterpart. Uh, and so now what we've seen is the original Firestorm has come back, but this time he's paired with uh, the other Firestorm whose name escapes me all of a sudden. Uh, I'm flipping to the page so I can find it. It's not Ronnie, is it? Ronnie Raymond? Ronnie's the original. Yeah. Oh, no, Jason, I guess. No, Jason is the guy. Ronnie's the original. So no, Jason no. is paired with Ronnie now. He's in the, he's in the, uh, the, he'll be the mental part, the Professor Stein part of the Firestorm persona. So uh, I, that's interesting. But, you know, I've never been really, I've never really grooved to Firestorm. He's always been a supporting character, not a main character for me. I mean, does anybody care about Firestorm? I, I don't do. care about Firestorm. I don't. Never have, never will. Um, I think it's a colossal mistake to bring Martian Manhunter back. I think Martian Manhunter, the, his death, in particular the, uh, the Requiem book in Final Crisis, was the, one of the best things to come out of Final Crisis. Not that mm-hmm. I disliked the character and thought he needed to die, but yeah, I, I like the character. But he had a good death. He had a good death, and he had a good last book, and you know it was emotional resonance for that storyline. Did anyone else notice though that they've given him a new costume here? Yeah, I did. He has, yeah, he's got like he a pants thing now. Going on. That is what the if you're going to bring him back, give give the guy pants. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else has returned, has given him pants. And, you know, they, they, they've kind of arranged the characters, you know, they're, they're all posing because, you know, when you come back from the dead, you pose. Yeah. And uh, 
at forefront, dead center is Aquaman. You know, Blackest Night, the big conc- the the big climax of the book is the rec- resurrection of the Justice League of America's least interesting character. <laughs> he yeah. looks younger. I think they've returned Ooh, his Superman? hand. Superman. <laughs> I think they've returned his hand here. It's hard to tell because he has the gloves. It doesn't look like he has the. What did he have when he died? Do he still have that? Well, he had hard that water hand, or oh, God, yeah. He the, yeah, he had the hard water hand. But God, uh, that sounds so stupid, even saying it out loud. It, it sounds a little dirty. I got my hard water hand. Anyway, I I could care less about Aquaman. Frankly, yeah. I, just, I mean, I, I I'm I'm in. I, I hope they do something good with his character because, I mean, we're talking they about won't. a guy who can't hold his a series to save his life. Right? Why the hell does everyone care about Aquaman? Yeah, the only run of Aquaman that I've ever enjoyed was Peter David's run, and you know, <laughs> any any run prior to that or after that, I've just not been able to stand. And again, you know, he is he's a supporting character. He, they, he is not somebody who's they should uh, they should make him a mutant, and then he'll be interesting. <laughs> now they did because he, him and Namor are pretty much the same character, except one has a real personality. Namor, that would be Namor <laughs> with the personality. Now, uh, you, I, I kind of felt like I kind of felt like they were going to bring back uh, Hawkman and Hot Girl because these were the, the the incarnations of Hawkman and Hot Girl that really worked and that I thought were interesting. Um, so it's not a big surprise to see them resurrected on this page. Um, I think. Right. It, I think it does kind of bode the question, did it break the curse? Because, you know, the, the curse that they had is any time that they, you know, in their various incarnations, if they shared the fact that they loved each other, they would be killed. And, of course, that's what happened in Blackest Night is uh, uh, Girl finally told Hawkman that, that she loves him, and they were immediately killed. Yeah. But and, you know, and that was a good death. It was a good Once death. again, there's no consequences to this crossover whatsoever. Yeah. The, you know, everything they've done, they've undone. Yeah. And I may be the, I don't know if I'm the only one that feels this way, but I just don't care about Hawkman. Yeah. I never have. He's never been an interesting character to I me at all. I agree completely. You know, this page sounds like the two-page spread volcanic volcanic finish fan service that this <laughs> the whole miniseries has led up to. Well, and I don't know what fans they're serving on this page, though. I mean, seriously, me. is, there, is, is there anybody here other than Jade that needed to come back? No. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's frustrating for me because, you know, they set up in that Adam and Hawkman book that Adam was going to be the one who brought Hawkman back. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's like, what was the whole point of that book? Yeah. Well, it was wasted time is what it was. Yeah. You know, and then you've got Dead Man back, and I'm like, okay, you know, I guess. I absolutely, that was probably the what made me the most angry about this book. Yeah. I love Dead Man. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, what's that going to be now? <laughs> you know? And now he's human. He has no powers. He's yeah. worthless as a character now. Yeah. And then Osiris. Dick Grayson before the, uh, before the tragedy. And then you've got Osiris from, you know, the, the Black Adam stories. And I'm like, you know, so when I saw Osiris, I was like, oh, well, do we see Isis in there? Because, you know, Isis died, and that wound up being a big damn thing over in the, the Black Adam miniseries. And no, you don't see her. And I was like, oh, well, what about Booster Gold? I mean, uh, Blue Beetle. No, no Blue Beetle. You know, Ted Cord. And, you know, you start thinking about, you know, who are the guys who are missing? And it does ask the question, why these guys and not other guys? And, you know, the, the heroes kind of ask that question later on in the book as well. Um, 
Well, Blue Beetle does make sense because his body isn't there. His body's at the end of time. True. Good point. Good point. But what really bothered me, too, is this: the point of this seemed to set up the, we've had a lot of people coming back. Here's why people can come back to life. And now we're done with it. Yeah, my ass. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. They already did this story better in Teen Titans before Teen Titans got bad. Right. They had Kid Eternity was the door that was open for both of them. And then they free him. And at that point, they go on about how, okay, the door is now closed. That will be the last of the resurrections. And that's Bullshit. just it. You know, it's like, oh, I guess dead is dead now. Well, I guess except for Mira, who dies pretty much as soon as you say that. And you notice how immediately they purge her of the Red Lantern uh, force. Nobody bothers to do that with Guy. Yeah. You know? Screw Guy. Yeah, fuck Guy. Um, well, and you know, th- then there was the way they took it out Necron. Necron, who's been standing in the background for six issues. Yeah, hanging around. <laughs> does something in one issue and literally gets taken out without so much of a punch yeah. in, in the next issue. And, and Seriously? And, and Black Hand, you know, he doesn't, nothing really happens to him. You know, I, it, it, the way they took out the villains, you know, it, it was nothing. Yeah. yeah. And the reaction to the people that are back, I mean, Superman walks up to Martian Manhunter and says, John, you're alive. And all you get is a, it appears so. Yeah. Seriously, that's yeah. lame. Yeah. I, well, and, you know, you, you, you look at the scene, it's, you know, right after Flash has, uh, you know, punched out uh, Boomerang. And he looks around and he's like, Ralph and Sue? And, you know, those would be characters I would think you'd bring back, you know? Oh, I think what the reason the... they were mentioned is they are back. We're just not seeing them. I think they're saving their, that reveal for another book or something. Do you think? I really think they did come back, but they, they ran away, so maybe they wouldn't get pulled into superheroism again. I really think – I mean, those are the only two they mentioned. Yeah. I think, they I think that they're not back, and that's, I think they're not back, and that's going to be part of the story. Yeah. Is why they're not back, and we have missed one character that they brought back, Professor Zoom. Yeah, who just died? Didn't he just die? Yeah, but the, but we we knew that he that, that there we, was a, a time thing going on. Yeah, we knew he had to be resurrected somehow between the present and the future for him to come back because Flash saw was dealing with a future version of him. Yeah. And now we discover instead of an interesting story on how he comes back, he just pops back alive with everyone else at the end of this. Yeah. 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 So, uh, the book ends the very same way it began, uh, with Barry and Hal standing in a cemetery talking and twins grave. Finally, they agree Bruce Wayne must still be alive. Finally, they agree with what uh, you know Tim Drake has been saying all along that Bruce Wayne ain't dead. And it was you know I'm like God, it took you guys a whole long time to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, and you know, seventeen year olds figured it out quicker than you. And Barry's supposed yeah, to but in his defense. This is a 17-year-old that figured out who Batman and Robin was True. and just shows up in the Batcave and says, you're Batman. I mean... Yeah, I guess. And on the, on the very last page of the story, you know, you have the reveal that there is a white lantern that is found, you know, in a crater off somewhere. 
uh, circled by you know vehicles representing colors of the various uh, light brigades. You know, you've got the green sedan, the red truck, the uh, you know blue uh, minivan. You know, all parked around it, and someone has found the white lantern. So I got to ask you guys a question. Brightest day is is the next big thing. You guys in for that? No. Yeah. No. Paul? I, I am going to buy number zero. I am going to buy the first. You know, just like with Dark Rain, I picked up the first issue, uh, you know, that, that first Dark Rain book. I am going to pick up Brightest Day number zero. And I'm in for the Flash, um, the Flash series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't know if I'm – I'm definitely not in for all of the, the books. I'm not in for Justice League of America. I'm not in for the Justice League Generation Lost or the Titans or Birds of Prey or any of those freaking books. Um, but you know, since I, I will be collecting a couple of them. And again, Brightest Day, the actual series, I'll pick up the first issue and see what I think. Yeah. And I'll be getting some of the Green Lantern Corps, because, at least for the next issue or so, because I want to see how that plays out with uh, Jade and Kyle's new girlfriend. Which one will end up in a refrigerator? Yeah, th- this book sucked. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it didn't, it, it, it's not going to turn me off of the DC Universe entirely. Um, what could turn me off of the DC Universe entirely is if those books post-Blackest Night suck. Well, yeah, you know, I, I've got a concern moving into to Brightest Day because, you know, Jeff Johns was responsible for Blackest Night. Jeff Johns is responsible for Brightest Day. And you know, I am sure Brightest Day will start incredibly wonderful. I am sure issue zero is going to be incredible. Issue one or two is going to be incredible. And it's going to do what every DC crossover does. It is going to fall flat on its face at the end. And I hate to say that, but, you know, that's what they all do. They all start wonderful and they all fall flat on their face at the end. Now, Brightest Day comes out, Brightest Day number zero comes out on April the 14th, two weeks after uh, uh, Blackest Night number eight came out, and it is fifty six pages. Cover price of three ninety nine. Um, I'm wondering how much of that's going to be previews of the upcoming books. I think at least half of it. Yeah, because um, the fifty six pages does seem like a whole lot. Uh, I, I, I imagine that we're going to see a lot of preview art uh, for other books. So uh, I'm I'm. I have to say I am really disappointed in the way Blackest Night wrapped up. And so I think we've got to ask ourselves the question, what if we were writing Blackest Night? What do you uh, well, uh, let's start with the with the one who's been the most outspoken about Blackest Night, which is Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know with the what if we were writing, uh I like to go at the end because, you know, Hey, hey, I'm going to be using what you guys say to sort of catch myself up on who the hell everyone is and what I can do with them. (laughs) I think that's how the writers actually do it, by the way. (laughs) Tim? Um, Well, I got a a few thoughts um, because I I have seen what a DC book looks like before. So Um, I've always had – this is getting more of a, a statement about comic books in general, but this this miniseries has just shined a light on this this problem that is the brightest day. Um, death has to mean something. Yeah. Death has to mean something in comic books for me to be interested. If there is no consequences to what heroes do, that especially this the main consequence of finality, 
who the hell cares what happens in these books? I loved Identity Crisis, but if you told me that that Sue Dibney comes back, I'm going to be like, I wasted my money. Yeah. If if you tell me that all these people, and I'm talking to you, you you bastards, you two people that are writing week after week DC saying, please bring back Arthur Curry, let it go. <laughs> just, just let it go. Okay. You think there's actually two? I think there's two. I figured it was just that, Paul. No, no. I don't care about Arthur Curry. <laughs> oh, you do too. You love Arthur Curry. I, I would say I would say it's many, many more than two. These are the same people that won't let Jean Grey stay dead. Uh, that won't exactly. let Captain America die and let Bucky take over. Uh, the, the reason let Hal Bruce came Wayne back. stay dead. Yeah, the reason Hal came it's, back. It's it, it's a it's a it's it's more of an indictment on comic books in general. But DC has given us a very good example of what's wrong. Yeah. You have to be able to accept the fact that a story has an end. You have to. And I'm not saying that you 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 know you have to end Superman or you have to end Batman or you have to you know whatever. But other characters, tertiary characters, let him go. Yeah. Who cares if Hawk is back? Who gives a rip? Yeah. Let him go. Yeah. Um. You know. Uh. I. You guys are all hot for this Jade character, and I. I think I remember her from Outsiders. If I'm thinking of the same chick. Yes. Yeah. That'd Meh. be the same one. Meh, you know, you know. I think you guys are just happy because it's 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 ruining Kyle Rayner's life, which is fine with me. Um, so that's my that's my first thing. Um, the other things I I had is keep keep the story focused on on just like the Black Lanterns in general. We don't need to see Parallax or the Anti Monitor or these mini baby uh, deaths slash mini baby uh, changes that last one issue, two issues. Yeah, like Sinestro. Or Guy Gardner, or all that jazz. Just fo- just keep your story focused. It seems like the people that are creating these all have ADD. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, that's a great idea, shiny, shiny, and it, it happens for an issue, and then they're like, oh, on to the next shiny. I I think that people need to understand that these changes aren't going to mean anything if they don't, at least at the very least, last the whole entire miniseries. Yeah. At the very least. Um. And the one thing that's always bothered me about Green Lantern is why does Earth have four of them, three of them, well, however many Earth has? Wouldn't those little blue Smurf dudes say that there's only supposed to be one every sector or whatever? Well, except Earth is the most important planet in the universe because this is where life started. Uh, okay, so keep, <laughs> so keep two of them. You You don't see two kilowags running around. And well, there would be. That's because there's only one left alive. Although now you never know. That's right. Well, so, anything else, Tim? Um, I, I, the only other thing I had was, and this might be happening already, but wouldn't you think that all these rings are different emotions? You know, there, there's rage and willpower and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wouldn't they, wouldn't they understand that? Just like you, you can't have darkness without light, that all of them need to coexist somehow. Yeah. So maybe they should set up a, a council, even including a Black Lantern, mm-hmm. instead of these little blue Smurf guys that apparently screw everything up. Well, I think that is coming up because the first storyline after Blackest Night in Green Lantern is called The New Guardians. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a council of the, the, the main heroes from the different uh, core that we saw in Blackest Night. Well, and, you know, if there are any, I think there's only, isn't Ganthet and uh, uh, Saeed the only uh, uh, two guardians that are left? I don't know. And they're Saeed, anyway, so. Saeed Jarrah? 
From Iraq? <laughs> no. Oh. But, uh, you know, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. And, and I think that if the Lanterns don't hold the Guardians to some kind of consequence, because, you know, a lot of what happened in Blackest Night was the Guardians' fault. A lot of what happens bad in the universe, period, is absolutely fault. And, you know, if Hal falls into line and follows a, a, another one of those blue guardians again, um, you know, I, I think that says a lot about Hal's character. Now, you know, if, if I were writing uh, Blackest Night, I, I would have, number one, made it a shorter series. I think the, the eight-issue series was a little long. I think that six issues would have been fine because I do feel like there was a lot of padding getting us to where we needed to be. Um, I would have taken a look at all the tie-ins and made sure that all the tie-ins were important and that the tie-ins did not share similar beats. But, you know, I think the one of the biggest failures of uh, Blackest Night, beyond not having any consequences, um, yeah. So that would have been one of the things I would have changed: is that people die in Blackest Night, they 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 stay dead. You know, they're they're you come out of this and things are changed. But something that they missed, you know, they, they branded this as a zombie story, and one of the things that's key to zombie stories is people screwing each other over. You know, you, when you when you put somebody in that level of stress. You know, they're going to make decisions that, you know, go to their survival instinct. And it would have been great to see some of those tie-ins. You know, maybe you don't have Superman in his tie-in book, but you have his supporting cast. And they're being besieged by zombies and having to make some, some, some decisions. And some decisions are heroic and some are pretty cowardly. I would have liked to have seen that. You know, I, I would have liked to have seen how the rest of the the non-powered DC universe dealt with the dead rising everywhere because they were rising everywhere. There were hundreds of thousands, if not millions of zombies around, and we didn't really get to see how the supporting cast dealt with that. Again, you know, we made the comment, where the hell was Lois in all of this? Yeah. You know, you'd have thought she'd have been out on the streets, you know, with Jimmy taking pictures and, you know, getting the story, but we never saw that. Um, so, you know, uh, consistent with the end of the story, there is no consequence, you know, that you never really felt the pressure of, uh, how terrible this event was, um, because you never got to see it really impact somebody. I think the closest we got to that was Ma Kent in the cornfields. You know, I think that is the closest we ever got to that. And even that wasn't as terrifying as it needed to be. You know, they, they, they did a zombie story and kept out the scary. They did a zombie story and kept out the, the human drama uh, that, that we would have seen, you know, in, in, another, torp of, in another type of story. I, I think that's what was missing, and that's what, what I would do differently in my, uh, my, black, my, my Blackest Night story. So I would – basically, I want to tie into that for what I would have done differently is when we start off, they did a little bit of trying to get – they were basically showing that these zombies are trying to get inside of the heroes' heads. There should have been a lot more of that, a lot less of the you know tie-in miniseries that told the same story over and over again. You know, these are people that they loved that are dead that are now back and they're messing with them. They should have been more effective, more deaths, more just more of the being terrorized by these people. More of those hard decisions of do I destroy this thing, you know, that is somebody I love. Right. And leading more towards the end of the miniseries, yeah, 
the the resurrections are ridiculous. There should have been consequences throughout the universe. This shouldn't have all come back to Earth. There shouldn't have been one big final battle on Earth. These things should have been terrorizing people throughout the universe the whole time. People should have been dying. We should have seen when you know when the living ones became Black Lanterns. I have no problem with them coming back, like Superman returning after having had the ring turn him because he wasn't actually dead. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see those characters do things that they would regret. Yeah. I wanted to see deaths in people's personal lives. Like I've, I've always liked Lois Lane. I would have liked to have seen her die. Yeah. How would that you know, open up the stories for Superman going forward mm-hmm. if Superman lost control and killed Lois Lane as a zombie? Well, it probably wouldn't because they have other things going on in the Superman titles that have kept me away from them. But, <laughs> you know, think about how what that would have done to some of these characters to have had them kill the people they care about and have blood on their hands. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and and to have the consequence carry forward because you know, really, that's what ought to happen. It ought to, it ought to reset the game and carry those uh, those 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 consequences forward. You know, you don't have to kill Lois. But maybe you kill Jimmy. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe zombie Superman tears Jimmy apart. Or even worse, maybe, you know, because uh, you know, Superman is has been changed into this, he's not there to protect the people he's always protected. You know, so yeah. I mean there, there like any, that would have been really good, but they didn't been, touch on it at all. At all. I mean, you not one. Not one story. Yeah. I mean, the big thing for me though is like I said, the resurrections made this and this was a resurrection story. This is how these characters came back. This is not the kind of event people are going to be talking about in the yeah. Legion of Superheroes time. And that's what they set this up as. Yep. This was a prophesized event. This was a major game changer. That didn't happen. It was it changed a game changer. nothing. It was yeah. a changer because people came back to life. Yep. It wasn't a terrible night. It's not the blackest night. It's the happy, fluffy resurrection night. Well, and you know, to your point... Wouldn't you in the future go, man, that Blackest Night was great because we got all these people back? Exactly. <laughs> you know, Blackest Night's awesome because nobody died, you know? Uh, uh. Paul? Yeah, I have some thoughts. Well, you know, first thing, when it comes to crossovers, I feel that crossovers should be treated like summer blockbusters, you know, in that they should take place in the summer, okay? You know, th- this started eight months ago, which was in the summer. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, because we had a skip month in there, too. So I think it started in, like, June. Really, I think crossovers like this and, like, Siege, you know, should be, you know, four to six issues. You know, if it's four issues, you know, May through August. If it's six issues, do it, like, bi-weekly, June through August. Mm-hmm. Okay? Get an artist who can handle it, like Doug Mankey. You know, a bi-weekly book and just do it, you know, have it all in the summer, jam-pack all the books in the summer, and then at the end of the summer, you know, your game, your, your, your game's reset. You know, don't make it go on. I said eight months, but it's really nine months because of the skip month. And it's really more than that because it's tying straight into the next one. There's yeah, no exactly. pause. It's right into the next crossover. Yeah. You know, but as far as storyline-wise, you know, and we've been – it's basically the same thing that we've been saying as far as The Blackest Night really wasn't all that bad. I mean, ultimately, no one important died. Right. 
everyone pretty much just came back from the dead. There really wasn't anything bad about The Blackest Night. Um, you know, I, I think as a real game changer, as a way to make The Blackest Night matter um, in, in a negative way and still lead up to a brightest day. Um, I think, you know, and if, even if it's not supporting characters, you needed some type of death. Even if it's not a main hero, even if it's not one of their supporting characters like a Lois or a Jimmy, I think maybe, you know, maybe an entire country should have been decimated off of the map. Mm-hmm. Or you know, planets. Like, You're dealing with the whole universal thing. Kill some planets. Yeah, kill some <laughs> planets. You know, but I think it would have been more effective to do something on Earth, like oh my god, the Black Lantern Justice League just wiped out the entire population of South America. Yeah. You know, and and the brightest day could be the rebuilding of the heroes, the rebuilding of the societies that they destroyed. You know, those types of things. You know, I I think they should have, like, remember in, um, and I I think it was either, there was some Star Trek series and, and, you know, it was like the season Oh, I know this isn't going to a good place. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, the season premiere season finale in order to change the, the, the you know to get this this big thing going like some alien race just ran a laser through the you know through the united states and killed like hundreds of enterprise thousands. that was enterprise yeah it was, was enterprise, enterprise. Yep. you know something like that you know something like literally hey everything west of the mississippi just got wiped out i mean none of the dcu takes place there anyway bye wayne and, <laughs> you know something like that i i, I really you know it, something that really would have made a blackest night a blackest night but you can still have a brightest day after it but it there was nothing tragic yeah. to make the blackest night the blackest night nothing yeah and, and i really think when you've got it when you've got a series called blackest night it really ought to be tragic yeah. And, and if and, you hype it up and if you say that they're talking about this in the future, you don't talk about happy, fluffy, fun night. You talk yeah. about everyone died. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that time where 10 million people died? Yeah. Yeah. That's the blackest night. <laughs> yeah. You know? But there, there, there's nothing like that in this blackest night. No, nothing that on that level happened. Yeah. So, Jonathan, coming around to you. All right. <laughs> now, uh, to stick uh, with theme, yeah, there there needed to be death, but I would have wanted to see uh, some main characters and supporting characters and random poons on the street. There needed to be a lot of death. And the way I would have handled this is uh, I would have uh, looked to inspiration from my f- favorite uh, event of all time, Age of Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And what they do, they shut down the Marvel Universe for four months and just launched their own titles just for the event. Right. If you guys remember. Like, that was awesome. And that's why I would have done with Blackest Night. It would have just been, you know, four months. Uh, could have happened in the summertime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of uh, Of Blackest Night. And there would have been a lot of deaths and things like that. And then coming out of that, you would have had uh, you would have had relaunchings of titles that were drastically changed by the events in Blackest Night. You know, uh, a I think I think one of the best changes you could have made coming out of that is all right. Look, we're gonna have one Batman title 
if we're going to have Grant Morrison writing something, I guess it's going to be our single Batman title because we don't need oh, nine. God, no. Uh, you know, one Green Lantern-esque title. Like, he's either he's either Green Lantern or he's the Green Lantern Corps or whatever. Like, you know, and that's... I've spoken about how I hate that in the Marvel Universe. Well, I hate it in DC, too, and I don't even read that. So, uh, yeah, that, that would have been my tactic. Shut down the DC Universe, uh, make drastic changes through the story that impact the readers and uh, the characters... And, uh, you know, come out into brightest day with a drastically changed DC universe that maybe Jonathan would read. (laughs) You know, I love the concept of that, except they tried it and they failed miserably during uh, one of the crises recently when they did the whole one year later thing. Yeah, one year later sucked. It had such potential. it had it was doing exactly what Jonathan wants here. They basically were trying to make all these drastic changes all at once and completely change the direction of all their books. And they did change the directions. They took a bunch of books that were actually pretty good and they took a left turn down the crapometer. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, the, I, I find it interesting that uh, there isn't a single one of us that said anything that sounded remotely like this thing was really good that I would have taken this and expanded on it, that these were the elements that really worked in Blackest Night. Because, you know, in the last half of the series, it fell apart. Issues one through three, those were the elements that worked. Yeah. Issues uh, four through eight, those are what didn't. Yeah. Well, it sounds like from what you guys said that the thing that was salvageable was the art. Oh, God, uh, yeah. Ivan Rice and uh, Mm -hmm. Doug Mankey uh, were fantastic. But that's that's no excuse. Uh, no, I, I will say I over and over again. You know what? I'll, I'll go as far to say art doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go there. See, and I have to disagree with you because if it's an ugly book, I can't look at it. I won't read it. I won't buy it. Yeah, but what's the use? I of can a deal with book ugly books. Can't I just read? can't deal with stylized. I I need a nice I need a nice pairing of writer and artist. I, I need both of them to be working. I I I I I don't place one above the other. I need them both to be working. I definitely place writing above art. I can get by a book that I don't think looks very good, although art can ruin it for me if it's overly stylized art and I don't like the overly stylized they're using. That has ruined many books for me and kept me out. And too cartoonish art, I guess, it's bothered me. Yeah. The Superman books in the 90s drove me off when they tried to make it look like the animated series. Yeah. Well, well all, guys, I, all I can say is I hate the way Spider Woman looks. Good writing keeps me in. Uh, I love the way I love the way the Ultimates looked. Bad writing got me out. So, yeah. all right. Well, next week there's not a single DC book I'm buying. Me wow, not a single one. Yeah, I, I, I see that Nemesis the Imposters number two is coming out for you, Wayne. But uh, oh, I will a, be buying a uh, DC book then. <laughs> <laughs> but there, I seriously, there's not a. I'm looking at the DC website right now for April the seventh. There's not a single book out there I'm picking up. Wow! Now I have to go look and see what's coming out next week. That just I'm looking. Seem- uh, However, I'm- Marvel's got all kinds of good stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I know World War Hulks starts next week. I, I, I'm probably going to be picking that up. See, no, I'm picking up Batman and Robin number 11 and The Flash Secret Files and Red Robin. So I have a couple of DC books. Sam, and next week I'm picking up uh, New Avengers Luke Cage number one. Shield number one comes out next week. Very excited about that. Yes. Um, I, I, I'm curious, Wayne, uh, Tim, are you going to be picking up Thor and the Warriors 4? His big team up with the Power Pack? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a yes. Uh, sh- <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> So. so, Aaron, does that mean you've finally given up on JSA All-Stars? I'm afraid so. Because number five comes out I next know. week. I believe that, that I have, in fact, given up. Not even the gravitational pull of Power Girls cleavage can do it, huh? It can't. It can't. Because uh, one of the books we didn't talk about this week was uh, Justice Society of America. And uh, I really strongly disliked that book this week. Mm. But that, my friends, is a story for another day. Yep, and just to show that Marvel does have bad books too, Ultimate Comics X number two comes out next week as well. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, Jonathan, I just want to let you know that uh, Green Ronin is the company that sells Dragon Age. Uh, oh, I like Green Ronin. The, They're the guys uh, that did Mutants and Masterminds too. That's right. Yeah, and uh, the uh, uh, Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, Dragon Age RPG, the box set sells for thirty dollars. However, it is sold out right now. So there you Damn. go. Damn. Yeah. So, well, guys, this was this was a lot of fun this week. It'll be interesting to see uh, you know next week a podcast without Blackest Night. Um, we will see you all next time. <laughs> oh, we sound so down, don't we? <laughs> this is the Blackest Night for funny books. <laughs> Gloom. Despair. Sadness. On Empire Strikes Back. Next week we will come back. Aaron will still be in Carbonite. Jonathan will be in his Princess Leia costume. <laughs> and we will save the day. Hey, I, I believe I that we are be moving into a brightest day because I, I still remember what the Blackest Night for Funny Books was. And that was those uh, first handful of episodes where I had to listen through half the episode to finally get past the Blackest Night update into stuff that I might actually be interested <laughs> in. And let's face it, the last few Blackest Night updates have all been, I'm afraid of where this is going. This is going yeah. to be bad. That's right. So this is actually now that it's over. It's the brightest day, the heroic age coming forward. <laughs> I find it very interesting that both companies are doing. You've got one brightest day. You've got one heroic age. They're both trying to do something positive, and you know. Well, no, I have a theory with that. uh, That uh, maybe maybe DC's pulling like the Greenland Iceland thing, where you know. Blackest Night was actually, you know, fun, fluffy time or whatever you keep saying, Wayne. (laughs) And uh, and you know. Brightest day will actually be very dark and horrible. I thought you were going to say they're going to flood the economy with too many superheroes, and then the value goes down like ice. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> we bid you adieu. I mean, it's everybody. everybody. <laughs> yeah. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.